0: Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs.
1: Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm.
0: Boy, the way, Glenn Miller played.
1: And that was an intro to tonight's topic. All right. So tonight, we're going to be talking about Family not just all in the family, but other families as well, and how family's been portrayed in popular culture. And boy has family gone through a lot. But then again, it's family. So yeah, of course there's gonna be drama. Can't help it. Um not just at Thanksgiving and Christmas, but all year round. All right, well oh wait, that's that's yeah, that's my family. Anyway, so <laughs> never mind. Kidding, kidding folks. All right, so Don, I'm gonna ask you a strange question. And I know I've asked you some strange questions in the past, but this one's going to probably be one, of the, one that's for the ages, literally,
0: because I'm going to ask you, can you define family? Yeah, see, that's the that's the trick. And it's like a lot of the stuff we talk about, what you define your topic as sort of dictates where you go. Mm-hmm. And, and we were talking about about this. Do we have to, to define it? And I'm going to say the thing to keep in mind, we're not necessarily going to define it because. As you'll see in pop culture, what family is for society goes through different stages. It means different things at different points. But there's the idea of uh, family as an institution mm-hmm. is, some, is something I think you have to, to consider because it's it's going to affect portrayals. Mm-hmm. And historically, what what a family would be is it would be a breeding unit. Oh, okay. That's that, an interesting take. Okay. Yeah. And and it's the idea that family would be, say, a man and a woman, and other wives and concubines and, and mistresses and lovers, however you, you want to play that, would be together for the purpose of making more kids, as, as George Carlin would say, pumping out a unit. And it's an important thing to think of because... How families are portrayed is sort of built on that idea because that idea forms a lot of the basis for um, what societies consider proper and what societies consider legal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because what a lot of people say, the family they consider to be the basic unit of society. Right. Like your little group. And then it expands. Like uh, we were talking about just before uh, recording. There's the family. There's the clan, which is like the extended family. Mm -hmm. And historically, if you go back far enough, that would be your entire society because human settlements might be just a few hundred people and you were probably all related and or inbred at that point. Mm -hmm. And, And then as we built up, as we got more populous and had to come up with more organizations for society, this is where you see this idea of artificial family like uh marriage as an institution and a legal thing Mm -hmm. starts to become a precedent because we're trying to base things off of that idea of the the clan the individual family group taking out of that the idea of responsibility Mm -hmm. like the idea is the parents are responsible for up bringing of the kids and 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 things like that when you look at marriages and institution it's mostly to dictate who's responsible for what when you get later on you get the idea of divorce that a family can come apart a lot of divorce law covers who gets what when you split up it's Mm -hmm. it's it's an institution that i think probably through default uh becomes that that model for society as a whole and again
1: that does depend on the culture we're talking about here. Um mm-hmm. you're we're mostly tonight going to be talking about uh the European concept of a family unit. But there have been some um more tribal family units in the past which m- followed a matrilineal approach where the community raised the community and the mothers raised the kids and the kids usually had the mother's name because yeah there was probably more than one father basically. Mm-hmm. Um depending on the depending on the pair bonding in the couple so different cultures have taken different approaches to family, but I think for the most part, we're going to be discussing, I I would assume anyway, um, the European nuclear concept of the family, I suppose, or at least something closer to that than
0: the uh, collectivist approach. Would that be correct? I th- I think you're right, but I'm also going to offer they're not ultimately that different. Mm-hmm. That, like, what, what you're getting at, the more collectivist approach, that happens more uh, out of necessity a lot of the times. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. Like, if, if you've got more isolated groupings of humans, mm-hmm. uh, like, historically, the earliest days of, of, of human development, say, um, even around, like, the ancient Egyptian era, so you're talking 5000 BC? yeah. And if you talk about different areas where uh, the living conditions necessitated, uh, say, something more nomadic or smaller groupings, like if you looked at, say, uh, like the the Central Africa, like the Savannah. Or, or, or Mongolia. Yeah, or or any kind of, like, mountainous area, cold areas. Mm-hmm. You usually had a more collectivist thing just out of necessity, simply yes. because we needed the bodies and you couldn't have, like, mom or dad spend time just raising the kids because we need mom and dad to do practical things and the kids are a burden until they're useful so we have to train their little asses up and get them like productive in a hurry and that's more of a collectivist a collectivist way is the more efficient way of doing that definitely so yeah when survival is involved that makes sense Uh, you're forgetting that
1: obviously it was the grandparents who traditionally raised little regrets um, while the parents were as you said
0: working and doing the survival stuff yeah well the the grand yeah, the, the grandparents, or um, if you had, say, members of the group that uh, either from injury or illness couldn't, True. say, hunt or or farm or build, mm-hmm. they would they would still be useful by raising the kids. But it was a matter of how much of a stockpile of that did you have, because the old and the infirm in a lot of these situations would die off really quick. Yes, they would. Yes, they would. Especially in nomadic cultures,
1: where occasionally they just leave them behind, purposely yes. or accidentally. Yeah, or, yeah, because sometimes you just lose people. Like it happens. <laughs> like little Billy went off to get water, and I
0: guess he didn't make it back in time. So, oh well. I guess Yeah. Have to have another kid. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the way it it was it was looked at too. Like that's up the idea of uh, smaller families is relatively new. Oh yeah. And and it's because historically your kids were your workforce, and you wanted a bunch of spares because you knew half of them weren't going to make it to ten.
1: Yep, about that statistically, yeah. Uh, Dan Carlin, in his podcast Hardcore History, uh, did an episode called Suffer the Children a number of years back, many years back, in fact. Um, And one of the things that he talked about in that episode, which was fascinating, was the degree to which the idea of not exactly loving your children, but looking at your children as you know um a deep in yeah people and a deep investment is a relatively new concept in human history
2: mm-hmm.
1: um yeah you th- for most of human history children were those little clones that you popped out and did your best to raise as quickly as possible because and you didn't get to attach to them for the same reason you don't get attached to you like your pet hamster because you know there's a decent chance hammy's going to be dead in a couple years
0: yeah he's going to we're just going to have to flush a little Billy. He just didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: exactly right. Um, so, yeah, that's, you know, they had to take a much more hard and practical approach. It doesn't mean they didn't have feelings. doesn't mean they didn't care. But, yeah, I mean, when you got 10 kids, I mean, you know, you focus on the ones that live and the ones that don't. Well, that's just, you know, we don't have antibiotics. So, c'est la vie. That's the way it goes. Yeah. It's sad, but that's kind of reality. And that's been reality for most of human history. So I think that is an important thing to keep in mind, is that idea that, again, ancient people did love their children, but they had a more often detached view than we do today. Or practical. Pra- practical view. And occasionally they didn't even love them that much. That You see that too sometimes, where they're, they're just like, until they prove themselves useful, they are considered kind of a minor annoyance and an expense. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, there's there's that. And it going back to your idea of uh, when we get the more extended family. Right. Right. What you're looking at, too, is for most of human history. And even today, this idea is still still there that kids are seen as an obligation. Yes. yes. You're supposed to get married and have kids. Yep. And no. Yeah. Well, of course you are, because that's how the species perpetuates itself. It's it's that, and it's also the idea that when humans start settling and we get larger and larger hierarchies, mm-hmm. the 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 masses having kids is it's a boom boom because if you're a religion, if you're the religious leaders, that's more asses and pews, mm-hmm. and if you're the the civic leaders, like say the king or that, it's more workforce and more soldiers. So you want yep the, you want the peasants to have as many kids as they can, yeah because that that improves the overall uh, conditions for, for the
1: organization. I mean, isn't it true even today that the largest countries with the most population are the most powerful? Well, yes actually, that's not no. quite true. You're right, because, yeah, that's something that occurred to me. As I was saying, this, like, oh, wait, India and China have way more people than the United States and and does, um, but they're not quite as powerful, although that was one of the reasons why China was able to catch up within a generation once they kind of worked a few kinks out.
0: Yeah, there's there's that. And I think one of the reasons you're you still see, and I think we'll be getting into this Mm -hmm. with specifics, what you have this weird undercurrent that people are supposed to have kids Mm -hmm. is that in the modern day uh, for modern governments, it's not necessarily a good thing to have more population. But for uh, companies, Mm -hmm. for our corporate overlords, it is because the more people you have, the more you can devalue the workforce. That's very true. Yeah, you can always find another cog to replace your current cog. Yeah, and, and if there's like eight cogs lined up, I can I only have to pay my current one half as much because the fear of somebody else who will do it for cheaper is just right there. <laughs> yep, that's exactly
1: right. That's the way it works. Mm-hmm. All right, so I think we can start talking about popular culture. And in fact, I'm going to go back. Actually, this is going to connect with what I was just talking about. Um, So about families and people loving each other because uh, I'm going to go back to 335- um bc or bce if you want to be politically correct but whatever anyway so uh where aristotle in his book poetics which despite the title is actually a book about playwriting not poetry hmm, go fig six and one half dozen of the other exactly back, then. <laughs> pretty much, back back then that's true they were probably speaking in iambic pentameter or something um <laughs> where Aristotle basically talks about how if you really want to like stick a knife, I'm paraphrasing. if you really want to stick in the knife knife of the guts of the audience, you make sure that your tragedies are based around family and family members suffering, the father and son, mother and daughter, that kind of thing, husband wife. you want to make sure that family is the core root of uh, any any kind of uh, as he refers to it, pitiable tragedies that you are <laughs> that you are crafting um because he knew that, audiences we all have families so therefore we're automatically going to connect to that and and it does prove to some degree that especially when they talk about you know parents and children that there is that love between parents and children even back then that they did have that feeling connection towards each other that is something that um i suspect has changed and shifted over history but back in ancient greece when he was writing it it was definitely the thing uh, parents definitely did care about their children. Otherwise, they wouldn't react so tragically when little little Theophilus there, uh, you know, got got kicked by a goat in the head and died.
0: I'm, I might say that there's another factor that plays into that, too, though. Oh, what? That uh, kids were seen as property. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's tragic if like little Theophilus gets trampled by bison because now I've lost one of my workforce there is true that is and true. and i think there's also the idea that you see today mm-hmm. oh my god do i see it at work is that people see children as kind of a um a weird kind of serialized immortality yes. and and a weird kind of vicarious achievement right yeah so if their kid is super awesome then they take credit for it yes so there's 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 i think you're 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 getting at that idea that there is that emotional connection Mm-hmm. but it's always peppered by this weird kind of impractical practicality
1: yes okay i think we can go with that also it might be that um, even thinking about that there might be an element of yeah well i'll start loving them when they reach their name day which basically means they're probably <laughs> not going to die anymore but until then you know I'll my i'll hold back a little bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah it kind of makes sense Um, (laughs) Yeah, so it kind of works that way. But the key point is, is that family has been part of popular culture right from the beginning, because family is the root of society. And what do people emphasize, eh, what do people empathize more with than
2: family? Yeah.
1: Um, Good and bad. Yeah. All right. And so that's one of those things. Um, But I would, and I would suspect that if we were to look at the ancient Greek plays beyond, you know, what Aristotle was writing about, because he was writing about what he was already seeing on the stage, right? right. Um, we would probably find that, yeah, they're filled with stories about families, because that's what people relate to. And that's probably continued on through the ages in many different forms, representing the different ideals and
0: tragedies of families throughout the ages. Yeah, it goes way back. Don't forget the uh, the ancient Greek classic about, you know, the the close bond between a mother and son, King Oedipus.
1: Yes, yes. There's that's definitely true. Um, there's also the story of Electra going the other way. Yeah, there um, is. Yeah, you know, well, so you know, um, some people are really into family. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, that's that's been a royal tradition from a lot of human history. Really, you know, keeping the, keeping that family tree down to kind of a, a one. You know, forget branches. But that's not necessary.
0: <laughs> it's not the family tree. It's the family stick. <laughs>
1: There we go. Yes, that's the line I was thinking of. Um, So, yeah, there we go. That applies to many royal families throughout the ages. Um, And, and, you know, it's interesting, actually, that um, because of that high mortality rate for children, most royal families, if you want to pivot to them for a second, that's been another source of great drama that many kings throughout history, the occasional queen, too, but mostly they have many kings throughout history would have many uh, concubines Mm -hmm. because... They needed to have as many possible children as they could because not only did they need a uh, male heir, there was a 50-50 chance that that male heir was going to die. And there's another 50-50 chance that it, they were going to have a girl, mm-hmm. which, if you do the math, means that they have to have
0: roughly eight kids to have one male heir. <laughs> yeah, and then don't forget, too, that the extra kids are uh, good bargaining chips that you trade them off with other uh, kings to to establish connections. That's absolutely true. At least the ones that don't
1: kill each other. We probably need to double that to 16 because of uh, all the uh, all the assassination, all the other stuff that went on back in those days. My wife watches a ton of Korean and Chinese palace dramas, and that's pretty much what it is. It's, it's, it's all because remember when you have a bunch of moms and whoever's kid manages to ascend the throne you know, is going to be the real queen, yeah, things get literally cutthroat. They get super cutthroat super fast, especially when you consider that whoever becomes the real queen has a nasty habit of eliminating all her rivals.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, Europe is like that too.
1: Oh, yeah, of course it was. Although, thanks to Christianity, though, European kings weren't supposed to, Henry VIII being an exception, of course, um, weren't supposed to have multiple wives.
0: Well, remember, though, that there were a lot of like all throughout Europe, there were a lot of that they didn't have multiple wives. It's just that this one kind of um, died under totally natural causes, a wink, and then you just had to go get another one.
1: Well, you know, she was taking a crap out that, you know, that hole in the side of the castle, which is literally just a window where you kind of lean out and you, there's a little seat there and you take a crap out of it. And she leaned back too far and happened to fall in a dung pit and broke her neck. And I mean, that's just the way it worked. It's too bad she was only
0: having girls. But, you know, that's that's that was God's will. <laughs> yeah. Or she accidentally slipped down the stairs and died of 15 stab wounds. So, stuff like <laughs> yeah, that. There we know? go. Yeah, that works, too. Um, so, yeah. No, 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 that's uh, so you yeah
1: the in a way actually the uh, the harem approach was a much kinder approach in a weird sort of way um, <laughs> or or maybe not because you know basically they had to live under constant like potential death, threat of death and torture from each other um and whereas in the western one at least only one woman was tortured at a time
0: at a time yeah that's
1: <laughs> <laughs> at a time that's exactly right um so yeah, I mean so, Western, Eastern approaches, yeah, your know, family.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and, and again, it, it goes with what we were we were saying that a lot of that it was entirely like practical. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was the, super the, practical. The, yeah, the emotional side is kind of in the back more because if you go back to say like your your medieval times, mm-hmm. a lot of the great tragedies are about um, like star-crossed lovers that couldn't get together because yes. of societal rules and that because. Again, marriage from the top on down was it was an obligation. It wasn't something yes. you did you you when you were young you might have some dalliances with people you had actual affection to, but then when you were old and mature at the age of like fifteen or sixteen or so, you got yeah. married you got married for strictly practical family connection, legal business yep. reasons.
1: Yep, yep. And then once you've popped out a, a male error or two, then then maybe you can you know, if you're the woman anyway, you can go off and fool around a bit. Uh, if you're the guy, you're probably not going to wait for the male heir, depending, depending. Um, but, you yeah, so know, that's the way it worked. And, um, yeah, that, that, that that's exactly right. The kids were kind of an extra.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, well,
1: I,
0: I... And even the idea of, like, say, uh, infidelity in, mm. in Europe... A lot of it in in certain cultures at certain times it ran rampant because again there wasn't any real emotional connection between the couple like it, you you got yeah. married out of convenience or obligation so mm-hmm. your spouse didn't care that you were cheating because they're like great that's one more night I don't have to touch you like ooh
1: yes yes that's absolutely true yeah and so you're right they might be perfectly happy and that does explain the prevalence of prostitution throughout the ages as well.
0: Well, yeah, there, there was that, and there's like a lot. Like, if you go back uh, historically, there's a, a lot of places. that, Like I say, if 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 you took a lover, it wasn't looked down upon as long as you were discreet. Depending on the situation
1: and how rich you were, I mean, there are there are a lot of cultures are a lot of cultures. We're having where one of the signs of being rich or one of the perks of being rich is having multiple lovers going on in, in addition to your main spouse. Yeah. I mean, that's actually very normal in some parts of the world, even today. And it was much more normal before. Yeah. Status.
0: Uh, and, and it's it's I, it worked like on all levels, too, because yeah, yeah. if 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 you were like, say, one of the the working class, but mm-hmm. you were like charming enough to to maintain, you know, a harem male, female that e- either way. Either way. Mm-hmm. That was seen as kind of uh, like I say, it was it was a status. It was an accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very true.
1: Very true.
0: That's where you get the idea if you go back to uh, Victorian era mm-hmm. times, you'll get like a lot of stories in that about what uh, the modern tour would be uh, of an adventurous, mm-hmm. which was basically the the uh, like a female hero that had, you know, was charming and like good at everything and like what we would consider like an action hero nowadays. It was the female Mm -hmm. equivalent and it was a popular trope and a popular character at the time, because again, it would, it was that idea. It was seen as status and uh, doubly. So in Victorian era times where like women types didn't have a lot of, uh, didn't have a lot of freedom or a lot Mm -hmm. of autonomy. Right. Right. And somebody who could use just the power of their own will to gain that it was heroic it was like our our tough guy cop that bends the rules and gets the job done it was it was the equivalent that was that mm-hmm. was again a popular trope because it spoke to that idea mm-hmm. that people maintained the, the the proper face proper etiquette mm-hmm. but deep down inside and behind the scenes they were something totally different in other words they're normal human beings <laughs> yeah yeah, and it was it was that idea that society would bend a little bit for uh, for uh, d- d- to let people vent. Yes, like yeah. you said, what they really are, and it was considered like rude and obnoxious to do so. But you'd make you'd make allowances. There were certain ways that you could do it. Like I said, if you're if you're going to have a lover, you were discreet about it. That was a lot of say, like Eastern Europe, that was a big thing. Yes, no, no, I can see that. And also, you're forgetting
1: about, uh, for, this is the thing, there's this idea that people in the old days did not bathe, which is exactly the opposite, actually. Uh, Bathhouses in Europe, up until a certain plague, were super popular, actually. Right. uh, uh, Were super popular for a while there, and they had all kinds of bathhouses. There's a uh, medieval history YouTube channel that goes into that, actually, about just about how much. They love bathing. They love bathing, and these bathhouses and saunas, especially in Eastern Europe, they love their saunas. They still do today, actually. Right. But, uh, they really love their saunas, and let's just say saunas are not just about laying around. <laughs> there are there are a lot of things that happen in in the steam there at saunas in very in many capacities, even today um, that uh, go on, and that became a that was one of the reasons why the church did not like the saunas very much and was perfectly happy to shut them down, save the bathhouses. Yeah um they well that that and the plague you know people they the church convinced people that the plague was partly which is partly true spread through the bathhouses therefore that was one of the reasons why europeans stopped bathing for a while right because they were kind of scared too because of the plague the black plague i'm referring to of course mm-hmm. um but but prior to the plague no no they were all in on the whole communal bathing thing <laughs> yeah. they absolutely were
0: there's that and then you get back to uh taking it back around the idea that the church frowned upon like dalliances and that mm-hmm. and religions are usually really, really good about telling you how, when, where, and who to fuck. Yes, they are. Because it's that idea that at the time, um, children were seen as, like I said, they're, they're, they're future members of, of our faith because yes. as, as Carlin said, they like to whip religion on you when you're a kid before you know any better. hmm and the idea of um, dalliances and improprieties in that led to a lot of, like, bastards, yep. which it was frowned upon by the church and a lot of times frowned upon officially anyway by by the government because it was hard to keep track of them all. Yes. And because of that, it was hard to uh, dictate what their obligations were.
1: It was hard to dictate what their obligations were. It was hard to set up um, rights of inheritance. So that was an issue. Uh, That's why it often went to firstborn, full son, but not always. Also, they're just a disruptive social influence. Like they were kind of the disruptors of the day because they didn't have the same social obligations that everyone else had.
0: And so they could get into all kinds of trouble and often did. Well, there's that. And then again, it was this idea that if you had a lot of like illegitimate kids running around, it was a, a a tangible demonstration that these highfalutin values everybody's claiming to adhere to, they really aren't. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good point. I hadn't
1: considered that. But, yeah, you're right. Yep, you're right. Otherwise, God would be preventing you from having a whole bunch of kids. That's right. But instead, you've got, like, you know, a dozen kids over there, a dozen over there, you know, a few over there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, and especially
0: if you're a sailor. Yeah, yeah, a sailor. There we go. <laughs> a family in every town. Yeah, and and again, like like they say, it's 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 difficult to to trace the lineage, and and especially back then they didn't have like computers; they barely had a census, really. Yeah, depending. You're right. Yeah. yeah. And be true. and like I said, because of that, it was it was hard to keep track. Like like your your bastard children might not be raised in the good proper Christian tradition. My God, they might be Protestants, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. So, and and that's yeah. what that's what freaked people out because again. Even when you get to the early 1900s, it's still a numbers game for governments and religions and families. Like,
3: mm-hmm.
0: early early 1900s, infant mortality is still pretty high. Oh, yeah. Until, until antibiotics, basically, it's pretty darn high.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But that was one of the things that people underestimate how much antibiotics transformed society. Yeah. And lowered mortality rates, like, just so much. And, of course, mortality rates for, for infant mortality rates, but the mothers Um, because women would actually develop sepsis and all kinds of problems after birth. Like, it Mm -hmm. wasn't that uncommon for a woman and the baby to both die together, especially, you know, some kind of uh, uh, breech births and other issues as well. Um, And antibiotics are not going to help you there. But, you know, um, if you need to cut the mom open, take the kid out, yeah, she's got a lot better chance of surviving if she can get a round of antibiotics to prevent the infection than if she does, you know, she's probably still going to die. But, you know, but... Yeah, otherwise. So, no, antibiotics were a game changer. They cha- they're one of the reasons why, if you look at population, it really exploded right around the time we came up with antibiotics. It had already begun to explode, but boy, does it shoot up from there. Yeah. Uh, that's just the way it is. And that's good. Antibiotics are awesome in that way. And that's one of the reasons why they're so incredibly paranoid about antibiotics slowly losing their effect. Because if we run out of effective antibiotics, we're kind of screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Just a bit of a problem. Anyway, so um, we should probably focus more a little bit on the pop culture side of it since we're, we're going to. So I think we've covered the family and its role in society fairly well, yeah. um, unless or, or did you want to continue into the 20th century or did you want to go back to po- popular culture? Which would you prefer?
0: I think if we keep going into pop culture, we're going to we're going to cover stuff because we've kind of set a good foundation for mm-hmm. what yep. I think happens with uh, how families are portrayed in pop culture. Right. OK, OK. So
1: we got up to the Victorian period and everything from this point on, I think we can talk about in pop culture. Although I know
0: you had an earlier pop culture reference of family you wanted to talk about as well. Yeah, because this this is uh again before we were recording, I mentioned that Married with Children is technically about 500 years old. He's referring to the
1: sitcom folks. He's referring to the situation comedy on Fox in the 1990s called Married with Children. About the Bundy family, which was about a dysfunctional family who basically
0: all hated each other. It was kind of like the anti-family <laughs> sitcom. Yeah. It, there we go. It was, in the the earliest kind of reference I could find, and it's something people are, are familiar with, mm-hmm. was uh, you go back to 1662, you get Punch and Judy. Punch and Judy? You mean yeah. those two
1: puppets they use in pantomime shows and such? Yeah. Okay. What
0: about them? <laughs> Well, if, if you've ever, like, seen a Punch and Judy play, basically they're a married couple and they fight. Oh, I, I didn't know that, actually. I'm not that familiar with them. I know of them, but I don't really know much about them. Yeah, and occasionally they have a baby and the baby usually gets killed by the end of the skit. It's all very funny. Um, <laughs> okay, then. And it, it comes out, when it first starts, it's basically you had, um, oh, I can't remember my my King's, but you had like the Puritan uptight King of England replaced around this time with somebody who was a little more liberal. Mm -hmm. And this is why you start seeing this kind of opening up for entertainment. And you look around the 1600s, you see a lot of pop culture coming out of, out of like uh, the, the uh, out of Britain basically. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's because the King, the new Kings lightened up a bit. Uh, Punch and Judy was a take on like married life where they were miserable and hit each other constantly when it first came out it actually wasn't a kids show like by the
1: way that would probably be when 1603 it was james the first son of mary queen of scots that was 1603. uh let's see and
0: i think is around 1660
1: they get a new one uh so we're talking about 1660 i thought you said 1602 okay 1660 we should get we get to uh at that point it's charles the first okay yeah sorry or oh, no charles the second sorry charles the second II kicks in in 1660 charles the second sorry i failed my british history folks i'm sorry
0: done 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 so but yeah and then and like i say that was it was actually punch and judy was kind of imported from italy there was uh, a bunch of characters that were sort of similar that sounds right okay yeah and it's idea, like I said, it was originally for adults, like uh, Punch had a had a mistress, uh, I think Pretty Penny was her name, something like that, Pretty, Paul, uh, Pretty Polly, I think was her name. Okay, that's where these names come from.
1: Okay, yeah. I, I, these are all names that are familiar, but I didn't realize they would been passed down through history that way. Okay.
0: Yeah, they were, because what happens at a certain point when they start getting really popular and kids start watching them, they kind of start toning them down. Mm -hmm. But the original idea was this married couple that bickered. And I think that gets to like we were just talking at this time, marriage wasn't out of out of like any kind of love or affection. It was a duty.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And and I think Punch and Judy kind of probably uh, expressed how a lot of people felt about their marriage,
2: that
0: they really would like to slap each other around and murder that obnoxious kid. But that's just not done. And this provided them an outlet. Right no that
1: makes sense that makes absolute perfect sense and i wouldn't be surprised if before then and even since then besides married with children obviously there have been many uh similar ca- sets of characters that are there to actually provide kind of an outlet for married couples to kind of like vent i guess you could say or or f- feel uh empathize with you know the 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 difficult parts of marriage and
0: of living with another human being mm-hmm. and what I'm what I'm thinking you're looking at there mm-hmm. is going back to how we kind of started this whole thing. That idea that uh, family is is often used as a tool by the people in charge to keep the, the peasants in line. Mm-hmm. You would kind of see a waxing and waning of that kind of portrayal. Based on the the powers that were in charge at the time and how much influence they had. Ah, that makes sense. So if they're promoting
1: absolute unity, they would suppress programming like that. They would suppress uh, entertainment and dramas or whatever. that portrayed the families being less than ideal.
0: Yeah. And and it's the idea like if you had more Puritan leadership, you Mm -hmm. wouldn't get a punch in Judy because the idea would be don't 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 kill that kid. We need him for our army. So France doesn't take over. And yeah. It would be seen as, you know, negative social values and frowned on. And then when you get these more, you know, kind of uh, laissez faire type leadership or when the peasantry has more influence, you start to see these kind of more um, raucous and slanderous takes on traditions like family.
1: Right, right. No, no, that makes total sense. That makes total sense. And I suspect that's continued up until this day. I mean, think about this, when we were growing up and even prior to that, the family was a somewhat sacred institution after World War II. You know, the idea was, you know, the family was the core of America and Canada, you know, the core value and such. And was absolutely valued. I mean, I think there. I think it did go back and forth a little bit. Uh, probably the '50s was definitely the age of family, leave it to Beaver. Well, I guess we'll talk about this later. Yeah. But um, it's gone up and down. And then, of course, even when you get to the '90s, we get married with children. Oh, it's it's before then
0: because you're you're. I, I know. Yeah. You're you're absolutely right. It goes up and down. And and again, I think it works on the uh, the twenty year cycle. Yes. Yes, I think you're right. I
1: think it does. Yeah. So it
0: goes back and forth What, how important family is
1: versus the alternatives. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, I actually, I think we should bring that up. Um, an interesting point when I say the alternatives. So it's not just about whether family, you know, the, the teddy righties are in charge or the conservatives that are like, oh, family, family is everything that are in charge. There's more to it than that. Because um, mm-hmm. there is a streak in Western culture, at least. This is where we get Western culture and Eastern culture differentiate from each other. Um, There's a streak in Western culture towards individualism and pulling away from the family as a unit and seeing Mm -hmm. people more as individuals rather than members of their family. And I think that that probably was a process that began at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, I suspect, and probably has continued on since then to one degree or another to, to modern day. And I think that there's been times when, especially in Western culture, where the individual is far more valued than the family is, and there have been times when it's been the opposite. I think again, that's also part of the twenty-year cycle we kind of we we go back and forth on, you know, which is more important, who you are or the group you're a member of.
0: Yeah, I, I think you kind of start seeing that um, around the Victorian era. So, definitely the emphasis on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like you say, kind of when when the, the when what we consider the Industrial Revolution period, like the later half of that. Well, because remember, yeah. in the Industrial Revolution, people left the
1: family to go into the city to work in the factories and they were earning money as individuals. Now, they were often sending money back to their families, et cetera. But at that point, people had an independence from the clans that they were living in. So that's why I suggest, suggest that that is the Industrial Revolution that produced this. It just took time. And then I think it really began to express itself, I would
0: agree, in the Victorian era. Yeah, because I, I I think what, what you're saying actually kind of makes perfect sense. Because if you look at, um, uh, say, European pop culture and fiction from the era of the Industrial Revolution, mm-hmm. you start to see notable individuals, but they tend to be more villainous. You mean individuals, as in business leaders? What what kind of individuals are we talking? Well, this this would be like I'm thinking when you get around that time and you start getting like um, you start getting like your horror novels and stuff and and what I guess you'd call spy novel isn't exactly the uh, the term, but more like your 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 kind of thriller stories and that that start taking off.
1: Right. Okay. A lot.
0: Of, a lot of time, the emphasis is on a character who is who is quite dubious, mm-hmm. and the the protagonist of the story is a narrator. Right. If you look at say like um like a lot of um H. G. Wells, H. G. Wells tends to ray a lot like that. That isn't also Frankenstein written that way and Dracula. Yeah, they they are, but what you get. Frankenstein not so much it kind of does focus on on the doctor and his creation but Mm -hmm. Dracula kind of does like I say HG Wells does this Jules Verne does this a fair bit where what you're seeing is the the protagonist is actually the narrator of the story who's following around Mm -hmm. the main the main character I guess you'd say right okay so so if you read like 20,000 leagues under the sea um, Captain Nemo isn't the one telling the story. I forget the name of the guy who was. It's one of the guys that he he shipwrecks at the beginning, explaining yeah. this thing. Nemo is the focus, mm. but he's not the narrator. The, the 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 hero of the story. Essentially, is these semi invisible characters that are talking the story of this great, you know, world changing person who may not be the best of people. That there's always a sinister side because I think. Mm-hmm. It's getting like you were saying, industrial revolution. People are leaving home. Yep, they're functioning as individuals, but it's still a novel enough concept that people are uncomfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's why you're you're seeing that, and it might play into that idea that like mm-hmm. when um when you know our our young lad goes off to the city to work in the factories, we're back at the farm. We don't know what's happening in a city. It's probably this big, dirty, sinister place, and then that's why. All of these stories are about a hero who goes to this weird, dark, sinister place with sinister people where where the machinations of of the 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 world actually happened kind of thing. Well, the cities were definitely portrayed
1: as big, sinister places because among us, among other things, they were
2: at that point.
1: (laughs) Cities, you know, even in Victorian era had something of a negative population growth. Because people were dying like flies because of uh, lead poisoning, mercury poisoning, uh, arsenic poisoning, um, (laughs) the bad food, you know, eating pies with God knows what meat in them. You know, there are many reasons why. Oh, oh yeah. Living next to sewage, disease, no no antibiotics. Cities were like awful places. But you had to go there because that's where the money was. Yeah, And it 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 gave you opportunities to be an individual that weren't there at – you know, at the family farm or back in the clan, right? So you're right. I mean, cities have this weird, and we could do a whole episode on cities in popular culture. I don't think we have yet. Um, But cities were this weird place where you really didn't, uh, like, yeah, people ventured, but there was this idea that you shouldn't go. They weren't for the weak. They weren't for the faint of heart. Yeah, They were dangerous places. And you can even see that to some degree in uh, the Sherlock Holmes stories by Conan Doyle. And of course, that's the late Victorian period. That's getting into the um, uh, Edwardian period. But even then, you see that in in those stories, the idea that the city is portrayed as this nefarious place where it's filled with 'er ne'er-do-wells and scoundrels and all that. That's what makes it a great place for storytelling. But, you know, the people reading this are mostly people back on the family farm who are just, you know, I'm glad I don't live in that (laughs) kind of uh, iniquity and uh, Satanism.
0: Yeah, because again, too, like like you're getting that, mm-hmm. a lot of people still lived in the country for yep. for a, a significant chunk of the populace. The city was still a mysterious place as well. Yes, it was, yeah. And you might visit it a couple
1: times in your life, depending on how close you were, go to the markets maybe. But if you lived a little bit farther away, yeah, you might never go to the city in your life. As I often quoted, I think I remember reading somewhere something to the effect of most people in their lives would never travel more than about 30 miles from where they were born. Yeah. And that that was normal for most of human history. And it's apparently still not that unusual today, despite our supposedly global society. Yeah. Um, People travel way more now than they used to. But for most of human history, you didn't travel that much. I mean, you go to the town for market. That's about it. You'd live your whole life basically in the small community that you grew up in. Yeah. Just the way it was. I don't, I'm not. I'm not dissing that. That could actually be a very good life. That could actually be a very good life. But, but by modern standards, it's quite different compared to how we conceive of life. And so, to them again, as you just said, the city is this strange place that's tempting members of the family and of the clan away. And <laughs> so, you definitely don't want it portrayed in too positive a light.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because again, it's it's not till you get to like the Victorian era where you start to really see the um, the individual hero. mm Hmm. And that's like you said, Sherlock Holmes is a good yep. example. Um, you're getting into like the pre-pulp heroes. Yep. Yep. Where, exactly. Where one individual is the, the 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 focus of the story, and they're heroic.
1: Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And I. And yep. I. Hmm? Hmm? No. No, that's exactly true. Um, you're you you find that uh, that's the age of the
0: the self-made man. Yeah. Yep. Or woman yeah. occasionally, but mostly men. Yeah, because and again, that was that was something that would happen that w- was unheard of. Wait, w- w- women do things? I thought they just had kids and sewed or something, right? And and again, it was it was because even that idea was getting away from this this uh, classical story of what a family was. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, and to some degree that was happening too because as things urbanized, you were starting to see this idea that you couldn't really do well. Mm-hmm. If just one member of the family worked. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, I that, don't you needed that that workforce. Yeah. And and it wasn't just at at that point, once the cities were taking over, it wasn't that uh mom could stay home, tend to the kids who would tend to the field while dad took the uh produce to market. They actually had to the kids had to go out and get jobs. And that was where you got the ideas of um Again, like say the Victorian era, the Industrial Revolution, you get little kids like five, six, seven years old mm-hmm. that would work the uh, work the looms and that because their little hands could get the uh, stray bobbins and they only occasionally okay. lost an arm. Oh well, yeah, we well you know you lose a few. You've got an extra. If you got a spare. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, and and then that's like and that was that idea that the uh, the the historic family unit. When you get to the Industrial Revolution, you are kind of starting to see that idea change in the, the mass mind, and the mass culture. And mm-hmm. again, it's out of necessity. Definitely. Yeah. And because it's, and also the
1: cities are becoming safer. Let's be, let's be honest. The cities are becoming safer and better places to live with time as time is going on as well. Yeah. Uh, And that's something that's happened, especially by the Edwardian era. Cities are starting. Now, it does depend, I mean, on the city we're talking about here. But, (laughs) and also one of the benefits, of course, of the new world, of America, right? I mean, people are leaving the cities in Europe. They're actually being depopulated and people are taking off over to America to make
0: their fortunes. Yeah. Or escape potato famines, as the case may be. (laughs) Well, and that's it too, that when you start getting to like the Edwardian era, um, mm-hmm. uh, cities are a, a little better, but it's the idea that you're starting to see nothing left in the country. Yeah. That they're they're
1: emptying out.
0: Yeah. Like we, we, we had a couple of like in, in different areas, they had different kinds of famines and, and crop failures and you were starting to see, uh, in the Victorian era, you're starting to see big companies happening and the mm-hmm. big companies were moving in and pushing people out. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, people don't realize when you get to, like, the uh, the Victorian era, a lot of the British colonialism wasn't really the British government wanting more territory. It was some company saying, we'd like to set up shop over here, but all these pesky natives are uh, causing a problem. Could we borrow a couple of battalions of soldiers and sort this matter out? Yep. Exactly. And... Um... Yeah, that's kind
1: of how it worked. Well, it was about taking resources from all over the world. Yeah. Um, and mostly in the form of companies. Uh, yeah. Like the what is it what's the Indian Trading Company called? Oh, is that the East India? Yeah, there we go. The East Indian yeah. Trading Company. Yeah. Which which was effectively a corporation from England running India,
0: <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. And and that was the thing. You saw that even 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 sooner because when, when guys like say uh like uh Marco Polo and that were exploring they were exploring as merchants Mm -hmm. and they were getting support from like the royalty Mm -hmm. like uh christopher columbus and and marco polo and all those guys it was it was the royal families that were sponsoring them partly out of prestige and partly out of that idea that then they could claim this territory as well but it was really a a corporate endeavor that's like when you get to victorian england that's what you start seeing and I think again, this is where you start getting another big transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like what you were talking about just before we started recording and, and even at the beginning, this idea that the notion of family expands over time to mm-hmm. include your tribe and then your country in that. The Victorian era is where you really kind of see a big push for that in, in England. Mm-hmm. And the 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 what we'd call now the nuclear family starts taking less and less importance, and it's You know, the bigger, you know, Britannia. that's becoming important. And it's because it's in the interest of the powers that be to put that idea out there. Yeah. Suddenly we're all brothers and sisters because that's the best
1: way to keep the people under control. Yeah. Uh, Yeah,
0: If the the country wins, we all win. Yeah. And and I think that's why when you start looking at um, pop culture... You're getting the individual hero, because I think people are starting to get kind of fed up at the uh, powers mm-hmm. that be feeding them a line about how they're actually not just a, a cog. And when you see families portrayed in a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. it's not in the best of light. Okay, how so? Well, you, this is where you, you kind of start seeing like the neer well brothers mm-hmm. and, and the fussy aunt and all mm-hmm. that kind of that your extended family is more of a nuisance. Like, doesn't Sherlock Holmes have a brother that's, like, not yeah. as smart as him? No, if you have it backwards.
1: Mycroft is actually much smarter than Holmes. He's just really lazy. Oh, okay. Well, see, but that was... I I knew there was a reason Holmes didn't really care for him too much. Yeah. Um, and that... Yeah, it's because my... I, I Read the whole series not too long ago. Yeah, Mycroft is basically, that's why Mycroft became a public servant. He became mm-hmm. an element of, because he had no interest in, like, you know, engaging in the active things that Holmes was doing and instead preferred <laughs> to use his powers for the good of the nation.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and and even then, it's that idea that, you know, he decided to waste away his life as a public servant because people are starting to feel that the empire is maybe a little bit full of shit, you know? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's that's kind of how it works. Um,
1: and so, yeah, that's the way. But that's the way that's the way it worked. And so, as you said, we, we saw the self-made men. We saw the entrepreneurs. We saw the people that uh, although, you know, again, people as they reconstructed. Now, that I think about it, when they moved to urban setting settlements, people reconstructed the family in urban environments. Right. Like, you, you know, because these people had grown up in clans and they still um, desired that togetherness and that family. And so what we saw in urban environments was we saw communities would form, when you basically tribal units based around geolocation rather than blood. Yeah. And we would see this, and they would form, and people would become connected to each other, and everyone kind of treated each other like one big family, all growing up in the same hood, so to speak.
0: Yeah, because that's the time that, like, uh, clubs and societies were, were a big deal. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, they were, yeah. And, and part of it was just because your apartment was... Probably, like one room, and you've got you, your spouse, and eighteen kids crammed into it. So you just needed somewhere to go. well, I'll take you
1: a uh, one better. This is the era, of course. Well, actually, they've been around a lot longer than this, but in uh, England and Europe in general, we've got the public house oh, pub. yeah. And yeah. that was where you retreated to when you didn't want to have to deal with your <laughs> wife and your ten kids who were all living in one room. You would you you'd sneak off down to the pub to uh, run an errand and uh, you know uh, tip your elbow or whatever the term is basically for an hour or two with the friends, right? That right. and that that became the center of the community basically. And it actually it's in many places in the world it still is. Yeah. Like that's the true hub of the neighborhood is the public house or pub or whatever whatever it's called where you're from yeah um it was one of those things that we North Americans, if any of you are listening from across the pond across the Atlantic or or Pacific, um you have to understand something that because of our Puritan ancestors here in North America, we don't have public houses. we don't
0: have pubs, we don't have that kind of thing here we uh, we we did as I recall the uh when the settlers moved into the states, the first thing they built was a pub. <laughs> Pretty much,
1: but a lot of them, thanks to prohibition and other situ- other reasons, kind of got shut down over time. Like they, what's the closest thing we have to a pub here in, let's say, in Canada, where, where you and I are living, is uh, for most people anyway. For most people, because remember, alcohol is not the focus of society. Is Tim Hortons? <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's basically the it's which is it, which for the, you're not familiar is a coffee and donut store. Uh, restaurant, whatever you want to call it, and that's where the local old people will basically meet and hang out and talk and everything. You know, when the, especially when the weather is good, um, they'll at least that they do around here. I'm assuming there. So we've got the donut shops; those are almost our equivalent to the pub, basically in a way, because we're again we're not an alcohol-based society like
0: a lot of the world is. Yeah, not not currently. If if you go back, uh, say like the '30s. Mm-hmm. Uh, the '40s, even kind of going into the '50s, there there's a running theme in entertainment that the bar is still where everybody hangs out. Yes, that's true. Yeah, like even on on shows like, say, The Simpsons, most tavern is where they every all the 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 gang gets together to start the hijinks of the day. You're right, and I think that
1: especially in uh, small towns, uh, especially like in the farming communities and such, I think there usually is probably one tavern or whatever where you know the local guys go the farmers go wherever after work or you know after the crops whatever if they when they have time they sneak off to meet their buddies at the local tavern or something i think that still goes on even today
2: yeah Um, i
0: i I think you're right though that i do think that when you get around the the 60s 70s 80 i think the 80s it kind of starts going out of fashion mm -hmm. Because I think, like, say, our generation, we didn't go to the bar. We went to the we went to the mall. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty and, much, yeah. and that became the hangout. And then when you get like the the past the 90s and the, like the 2000s, everything's starting to go virtual. People aren't hanging out as much. Right. Spending more time at home. Because even if you look at something like, say, uh, The Simpsons or Family Guy has the uh, the drunken clam where they hang out. Mm hmm that's kind of hearkening back to 50s sitcoms yes yes it is yeah yeah, that's true and and again i think in the 50s that was still a thing that that you know mom and dad had the places that they would go to to you know they go to the water buffalo lodge to hang out with the guys and stuff that that was that was still a thing that i think when you get to the 80s you kind of start seeing it breaking up yes yes and and you can tell because if you look at a lot of um especially early 80s movies and that Mm-hmm. The running theme is always that the evil industrialist is going to tear down the whatever where everybody hangs out. Yep. Yep. And it'll be like an arcade or a dance hall or or, you know, like a, like a clubhouse kind of thing. And I think by the 80s, you're kind of starting to see that because, like, say, our generation mm-hmm. is is branching off into different things that we're not we're not following the 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 family template anymore. So that old stereotype of like you know, mom has the 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 sewing circle or the book club with the girls, and dad goes off to the lodge or to the uh, to the bar. That doesn't quite work the same by then, and it's mm-hmm. it's yeah. basically our generation. Well, our parents' generation kind of slows it down, but it really sort of comes to a stop with ours. Yes, yes, I would agree
1: with that. Yeah. No, no, I, it, def- it definitely does. We're too uh, fragmented culturally at, the, at that point. We we are not connected to our, I would argue, we're not connected to our neighborhood anymore. Like there's still not that geographical connection. Yeah, it depends where you're from. Uh, but and I know in my case and that, I mean, just my old neighborhood and such, but I never felt that, con- I felt more connected to my schoolmates who could be from many different neighborhoods than I did f- with my, the actual people that lived in the neighborhood where I grew up in. Yeah, but that's and I think that's a side effect of the suburb suburbanification, if that's a real word of our gener- of the '50s and '60s. The suburbs became a place where yeah, you might know a few of your neighbors, but you weren't a community anymore. Not really, not in the same way. Yeah, and so we lost that element of the of uh, the family as a ge- geographic area, block, or you know that kind of community. We lost it. Compared with uh, what what had happened before, where people had, as I said, recreated their family based on geographic location, so you knew everyone who lived in your building, you knew who people lived in the building across the uh, you buildings around you. Because again, remember, urban environment, you're living with multiple families in one dwelling. Yeah, and so and you're often remember they weren't that rich; so they were often depending on each other and they're helping each other out. And in some places, this is still going on, um, and that's that's the way it is but for for us the child children of the suburbs basically um, that was that's been lost that's not a part of our view of the world basically and unfortunately ours became more and more dominant over the other more communal view of, uh, of
0: society and uh, the people around us at least that's yeah. my take anyway yeah I, th- I think you're right I think a lot of it too though it's it's um, it's like the result of, of changing environments yes. Well, that's my point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As the environment
1: has changed, so has our notion of the family and our family's place in society, at least in, again, in Western society. I would argue in Eastern society, it's still a bit different, Um, although it has been changing, too. Definitely has been changing, too, for them as well as us. Um, Anyway, so let's take a step. okay, so now we've kind of caught up to the modern era. Uh, You know, we kind of wound our way around, but we kind of got there. (laughs) Um, we can, and we'll talk more about the modern era and the, what that means for the family when we get there. But let's take a few steps back. So we were talking about Edwardian, and we're talking about Victorian period. So mm-hmm. why don't we start with uh, comic strips because they were one of the dominant ways that society, well, dominant forms of entertainment, basically back in the uh, late Victorian, early Edwardian era. Yeah. So, so what? How were families portrayed in the comic strips of those days? The newspaper comic strips. Now this is where
0: I think. I think you're 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 hitting on a really important thing. Mm-hmm. Now, for anybody out there listening who's under the age of seventy, <laughs> keep keep in mind that newspapers really kind of take off, and we've talked about this on the show before. When you get to like the Victorian era, because there's stuff mm-hmm. going on, and and they're basically like tabloid scandal sheets and and written titillate and shock, but they take over uh, newspaper comic strips are crazy popular. They're like the TikTok of the day mm-hmm. when you go back there and they have a lot of influence. It's difficult for us to wrap our head around that nowadays. I, I think if anybody who's 40 or over can probably kind of understand, because if you remember um, the, the big hit Garfield made, right. Or how well, that, nuts. I'm sorry, or, or how nuts what? Sorry. Or how nuts people went for Calvin and Hobbes back in like the eighties yes yes or, or bloom county there was still that kind of prevalence but if you go back to like the late 18 early 1900s it was even more so like the, the comic strips were huge well keep in mind they had a lot less media than we do yeah um, and newspaper kind of
1: that was it yeah and novels, <laughs> that was pretty much it everything else was live at that point i mean records were coming around eventually and we'd yeah. eventually get movies as well but even they would take decades to really develop No pun intended. Um, So the point (laughs) is, is that, thank you, thank you very much. Um, So the point is that newspaper strips, the great age of, the great golden age of newspaper strips happened, what, about around 1900, basically. Yeah. Uh, A little little before then, a little bit after. And they would continue to be dominant in some ways, or super popular anyway, um, well into the middle of the 20th century. They would be. Yeah. They would. They would slowly go down in popularity, but they were still a crucial part. I mean, remember the very first comic books were just compilations of newspaper strips. Yeah, that's what the very first comics were—the famous bunnies. Anyway, so we've gotten off track again. So tell me <laughs> about the the comic strips of the of the this golden age. So what were they, and how did they portray the family? Don,
0: I'm going to say that there's two in particular that you want to pay attention to because I think. Everything in the modern era, like all the family stereotypes that we're familiar with, pretty much come out of these two comic strips. Oh, okay. What are they? You get to um, 1913. Mm-hmm. You get the comic strip "Bringing Up Father." Oh, interesting. Okay, it's it it takes off again. It's it's mega huge. There's when movies happen, they make movies. There's radio plays of it. "Bringing Up Father" is kind of um, it's. You're low key, more accepting, slightly genteel story. And it's basically just, you know, like um, scatterbrained dad and mom's going to kind of keep together and they have a kid and, and blah, blah, blah. It's pretty straightforward stuff.
1: So it's kind of the original sitcom pattern where, you know, dad, dad's a bit goofy mom's new more together. OK, maybe um, she's got her own quirks. And then the kids are engaged in wacky shenanigans.
0: Yeah, and it's it's super popular. You get to 1917, you get kind of a response to it, where you get the Gumps. Okay. And the Gumps are kind of the other end, because I believe the image of mom working over dad with a rolling pin comes from the Gumps. Oh, interesting. I've never heard of the Gumps before. Yeah, again, it was crazy super popular, and it was kind of more, they were more like a blue-collar kind of thing. They didn't get along... Mm -hmm terribly well like right it was constant fun. like I say this this is the married to children template that you saw with Punch and Judy this is kind of the the new iteration of it right right mm-hmm. it, it comes about because uh as I recall the guy who did it uh Patterson two T's no relation mm-hmm. um he referred to average people as gumps oh okay he, he he was as as I understand it a little bit snooty and that's why he wrote this it, it was kind of portraying like the the lowbrow average person sensibilities and it, again it, it these two comics kind of set that that pattern huh okay that there's the the sort of appreciative lauded version of of family life mm-hmm. and there's the kind of it's all just a croc version of family life and i think around this point you start seeing a leapfrogging of those ideas that makes perfect sense that makes perfect sense. Yeah, no, no, I can agree. When does
1: uh, Little Abner come around? Uh, Little Abner, I believe, is like the 50s. I think that's like a okay. So that's way, So that's way later. Um, cause when I go, or I'm jumping a tiny bit ahead here, but let's see, to me, little Abner is a, um, a basically an ode to the clan, basically referring not to the Ku Klux Klan, obviously in this case, but to the family clan, you know, to the simpler life of living, you know, living with your kin out in the countryside and such. It was part of the whole hillbilly wave that happened in like the forties and fifties. Um, oh, there was a fascination with hillbilly culture. I think we've talked about it in other episodes as well. But mm-hmm. the key point is, is that that's another uh, take to the family. The idea that oh, you know, if I, I guess the nuclear family was coming in hardcore in the 1950s. and yeah. so at that point you've got this reaction to that, which was basically
0: the labner. Actually, it starts uh nineteen thirty four. So it, it's oh wow, I'm even earlier than that. But still, so, yeah. But I, I and again, I think you're right. It's it's also part of the idea that I think um. You had this sort of weird response, like we were saying, to urbanization. Because I think when you get just after World War One, that's when mm-hmm. society, like especially say North America and most of Europe, is basically mm-hmm. urbanized. Yes, that's true. And something like Little Abner and I think, because um, we talked about the the hillbilly wave that, that starts, like again, mostly in the 50s for things we'd be familiar with. It's kind of a response to that rural thing. That mm-hmm. Little Abner, the, the rural life, like you say, it's it's family and kin, but it's kind of romanticized and parodied at the same time.
1: Right. Well, again, remember, this is the result of generations of
0: farmers basically moving from the countryside to the city. Yeah, and I think because the urban at that point is dominant, a lot of urban dwellers kind of think that if you're still living on the farm, you're probably a little backwards. Yeah, yep. You're a bunch of country hicks. Yep, yeah. But then there's also that idea that there's a bit of longing for it because it's seen as more idyllic and quiet and calmer as opposed to the hustle and bustle of the city. Yes. Yep. Totally. And that's where that comes from. And again, it's 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 that idea too. Like you said, something like Little Abner. It's all about about the clan. Hmm. Like not not the, the 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 hooded ones, but it's it's that idea that. There's that strong familial connection that in the cities you're starting to not see because dad's not around so much because he's working and if mm-hmm. mom might be taking in work as well so she's not as as um, not spending as much time with the kids and you're starting to see that that distance happening.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So this idea of this like bucolic barefoot life, just hanging out with your family and stuff and shooting at revenuers, I think again. Like you're saying, it's 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 kind of um, appealing. It's it's her- seen as hearkening back to this uh, better time when we were closer and blah blah blah. Exactly. It's yeah. It's a romanticization.
1: It's kind of a nostalgia play, basically. Yeah. Um, that we were. To, but again, uh, the reason I chose it, of course, is because yeah, it represents again the family, both the time, what what they, this idea ideal family that they're longing for. And, of course, what's ha- a reaction to what's happening in the city at the time, which, as you said, is because the nuclear family is slowly forming where mother, father, you know, and uh, a couple, you know, a handful of kids, basically. And the parents work and the kids kind of raise themselves and
0: hang out with street gangs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's kind of how it worked. Or, or they're orphans, because for some reason there's a lot of orphans around in pop culture, in like the 30s. It's because the parents keep being crushed to death in the machines. And possibly, yeah,
2: or, or possibly get,
1: literally,
0: or getting beaten to death by the cops because they dared talk about unions. That was uh... well. Oh yeah, yeah, that happened a lot too. <laughs> yeah, the
1: working conditions. I, I'm more remember. I'm only half joking. The working conditions were pretty rough back then. Until they. That's why unions came about. Yeah. Um. Just the same as unions are probably going to come about soon today, maybe. But <laughs> at least until they use AI to wipe them out. But we're not going to go there. That that was last episode, folks. All right. So. <laughs> All right. So anyway, so we got that. So we so in the form of the comic strips. Then what we're seeing is a slow evolution. Um, and so we've got like we've got Little Abner there. Um, we've got what's come later on. And I just thought of one. Um, oh, Blondie. Blondie is also going to come out of what? Isn't the late thirties around that same period that Blondie comes out of, or is it a little later? Uh, Blondie's a Blondie
0: starts in nineteen thirty. Okay. Plenty well, starts in 1930. Yep, people wouldn't recognize it because in 1933 it becomes a totally different comic strip. It basically becomes Dagwood at that point. I'm assuming. Yeah, because yeah, because what happens is the original. There was a, a prevalence in, like, say, the 1920s of, um, uh, I don't know if there's a term for it, but basically the the adventures of like adorable young women. Yes. Yeah. And and this was just. There was an absolute explosion of these things. Like uh Betty Boop is kind of that. Yep. Um, shoot, there's I can I can picture wasn't Popeye that too? Like it was originally about olive oil. Yeah, Thimble Theater was originally olive oil was the focus. She wasn't necessarily she was kind of a parody of that sort of thing. Cause she oh, okay. It wasn't exactly attractive. Like, like, these are all like super cutesy. Like, like I said, like twenty right. something young women and uh, Bootsy mm-hmm. and her buddies was another one that was popular. Uh, I can, there, there's uh, something I I can see the 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 strip, but I can't remember the name. But there was, there was just tons of these things, mm-hmm. and that's what Blondie started out as. That Blondie was originally she was she was like a like a party girl kind of thing yes. for the for mm-hmm. the time, and Dagwood was like her her rich boyfriend.
2: Mm-hmm. And the story really?
0: changed. yeah. Da- Dagwood comes from a rich family. Okay, I never but got that impression reading it when I was growing up. But okay, sure. No, because we didn't. Those first few years sort of disappear because in 1933 they get married. Yes. And the what the story way the story goes is Dagwood's family does not approve of Blondie. Oh, okay. And they disown him when and they get married, and then it becomes a family strip. Right. And then that's the one we would know is, is this idea of, of, you know, Dag, Dagwood and Blondie is this married couple and they have the kids soon after. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, again, it was because those cutesy girl strips were starting to kind of go out of fashion yeah. and the family strips were seeing a comeback. So that was where they, that was where they went
1: with it. So all these cutesy girls basically settled down, got married and it became family strips. Yeah, or they just disappeared. <laughs> or, oh yeah, they mostly just disappeared, I imagine. But Blondie and Blondie's case, wow, Blondie and sorry, I'm just suddenly blown by the idea. Most folks won't understand this, at least not if you're under forty. But the idea that Blondie got and Dagwood got married in 1933, you got to understand. I was reading that strip in like the 1980s in the newspaper. Um, the way, Especially the Saturday strip, the, you know, the Long blonde. I'm thinking, how long has, has she been pestering Dagwood to go up and like fix the roof? <laughs> Holy crap. That was pretty much every second strip was about Dagwood trying to sleep on the couch while Blondie was coming up with a list of chores he had to go and do.
2: Yeah, it was like
1: or, ideas. Or ago. Mr. Dithers <laughs> coming over and causing trouble. And I'm like, wait a moment. It's like, well, I, of course well hell i mean even when we were growing, beetle bailey was still around and that's like a post-world post or during world war ii strip and uh yeah there's a lot of them that now that i think about it
0: we're, we're ancient even by the 1980s when you were 70s and 80s when you and i were growing up yeah and even then you mentioned beetle bailey beetle yeah. bailey was a totally different comic when it started he was a goofball college student what yeah, the original beetle bailey comics he wasn't in the army he didn't join the army till a couple of years into the strip and then that became the focus wow yeah, he was a goofball college kid
1: see this is the thing folks for those of you who are <laughs> under 40 um you got to understand that you have access. You can just like Google stuff and basically go back and like read something from the beginning if you want. We couldn't do that back in the day. <laughs> we simply got whatever the media was serving up to us. And if we were lucky, lucky, we could go find like collected books of these things, maybe. Um, like, for example, you know, my local downtown, the downtown library in London, the biggest library in the city, all, the only real major collection it had was Dick Tracy. Oh, and Buck Rogers. It had collections of those strips, and even then, only for about the first like twenty years worth of strips. you might be like, "Oh my God, twenty years!" Yeah, only the first twenty years, because uh, they had another like twenty or thirty years before they got well more than that before they got to me, even my era. So there's huge amounts that were missing. Um, so yeah, we couldn't just go back and see stuff like that before. We we knew it only as the media of our day, even though it was already really old by the time it got to us.
2: Yeah.
1: Wow. Sorry, my mind is blown. Actually, I'm still like 1930. They got married in 1933. Holy, holy cats! Yeah, it, it, um it, it that's crazy really stuff.
0: Early. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It, they they change it really early because, like I said, it was it came out kind of to capitalize on a trend that was already dying. Yeah, 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 Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow,
1: that's that's crazy. Uh, anyway, so but so Blondie again. Uh, we got the. I, you know, I have to wonder, did the Blondie strip itself go through different iterations where Dagwood was more or less uh, assertive, for example? Like, you know, Dagwood, I knew, was mostly this uh, feckless, near do well slightly lazy husband who wasn't a bad guy, but he was just a little, you know. You know, Blondie was the one who was always trying to get him to do things and keep him in shape and everything like that. He, you know, keep him do, doing what he was supposed to do, and he just wanted to take a nap. Um, and Or today bring his boss home, Mr. Dithers, home for dinner. and mr dithers like there's a character right out of the 1930s so that doesn't surprise me at all he's probably been around for that long too oh yeah that's yeah no sorry, but so okay so yeah i have to wonder if that's gone through so maybe these strips must have gone even the single strip itself like blondie must go through different iterations like depending on the
0: era in which it's being drawn and told like it must reflect that to some degree it it does but they're not super different something like blondie the way the way you can tell is the kids oh okay because they went through the ones where, uh, is it Alexander is the the son? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. He looks and, like little Dagwood. Yeah. When he was born, they did stories where he was like an infant and a toddler. Mm-hmm. And then I can't, I'm not like a huge fan, but I can't remember when Cookie was born. I don't, I think they might have aged her up fairly quick. Right. I remember them being in
1: college. I remember they'd, yeah. they'd gone off to college. At least by the time like the '80s came
0: around, <laughs> the kids had gone off to college. Yeah, they've been college age for at least the last sixty years. Um, yeah. But I I do remember Alexander. There were there's there's uh, there were strips when he was a kid. So like and and it's basically they're 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 pretty they're pretty straightforward because Dagwood is always kind of the bumbling husband. You can tell because yeah, it was a movie series. Right. Yeah, that's right. They, it they was, made, wasn't it? They made like a million of them, and it was. It was that Dagwood was always kind of a bumbler because that was sort of the, 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 the formula. Mm -hmm. If you were going to like, um, praise the family, then typically dad was in charge. If you were going to like, um, poke fun at the family, then typically dad was a bit of a bungler because dad was at this time still, dad was likely the worker. Right, Right. Yes. So he was the, the, the main motivator of the family. Mm hmm. And yeah, Dagwood is always a bit of a chump, because even in the early days, the, the story's called Blondie for a reason. Like, she was the, the main character. Right, yes. So everything focused, even when she was like a party girl, it focused around her decisions. Mm-hmm. So then when they transitioned, it was just real easy to just, okay, Dagwood's still a dumbass, and we'll just play it like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Okay, so then does Family then Change in comic strips through the ages, or do you want to uh, basically only go as far as TV and then shift over
0: to focusing on that? I think what you can do, Mm -hmm. because we're in the 1930s now. You get World World War II changes a lot of stuff, right? Yep. And I think what you end up have happen is fairly quick after World War II, TV takes over. Yes, it does. Yeah, Like, like it becomes the main thing, and this is why, like a lot of the comic strips. Mm-hmm. Uh, become kind of zombie comic strips at that time. Yeah, pretty much. It, it's not until the 60s that comic strips have any kind of ascendancy again. So they're kind of just running on neutral. Yeah, yeah. Just and, telling the same kind of jokes and stories over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. and TV sort of takes over. And I think that's where you really kind of start seeing the, the next iteration of what a family is. Right. And I would agree with that. especially. And of course, the family we're looking
1: at is the post-World War II G.I. Bill family, basically, the suburban family that's the result of uh, the new American prosperity yep. that's yep. happening post-World War II, at least in North America anyway.
0: And that would be the what, what we would think of as the
1: nuclear family. Exactly. Yeah, The nuclear family becomes the center unit of society. And
0: it's called the nuclear family for a reason, because it's part of the nuclear age. Yep and it becomes codified like this is where like dad goes to work in a suit and smokes a pipe and mm-hmm. mom does vacuuming and pearls and gloves and you have like you know 1.5 or two kids and possibly a dog and that that image becomes the the de facto standard for what people think of as family exactly that's the family
1: ideal at least in the north american sense and i, yeah. I would argue probably in north america may
0: just export it to a lot of the world too well to the europe anyway Um, it was it was all over because remember after world war ii america was basically the only country that had an industrial base left because nobody bombed it so that was why you see this i uh, american ideal spread so rapidly is because they're exporting it with all of the other like resources manufacturing that they have
1: oh yeah yeah basically they're dubbing you know uh, leave it to beaver in german basically and playing it there like year or two after they're playing it in North America. So the German kids are growing up on Leave It to
0: Beaver just like the American kids are. Yeah. And even if you look at like say um Reconstruction era Japan, mm-hmm. like what we think of Japan really is kind of um an adapted version of this like weird nineteen fifties American ideal. Because to that's what some degree. It, there's well,
1: there are there's some catches to that, but
0: yes. Oh there's 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 plenty. But again it's 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 when you have like the the, the the breakup of, like, the feudal system, which yes. really only happens because of World War II. Mm. That idea of the salary man and that, that's very American. True, like, true. Okay, you got me there. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's mm. the dark side of Ward Cleaver because Ward never actually has to go to work. He's always coming home from work. Yep. And hanging around. But, you know... But poor Yamato-san is uh, ne- he's just never
1: there. He basically makes a brief appearance to, to sleep for a couple hours at night and then, and then slinks
0: off before people even wake up. Yeah, if he's not sleeping in the train station. Yep, yep, that's very true. Or drunk in the gutter.
3: Yeah,
2: uh,
0: yeah. and again, yeah. it's because it's this weird... They're kind of aping that 50s nuclear family American ideal, mm-hmm. but circumstances are a little a little different. So you're getting really kind of weird permutations on it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's and that's why it's again what we were saying before it's it's the environments affecting how things really work but that kind of projection of what the ideal is is again this weird american nuclear export yep and i would argue the idea of the 50s i mean it's the dream
1: right they're selling the american dream and uh, mm-hmm. this is what the people dream of, like this is, or at least this is what they want people to dream of, anyway, as being the the ideal post World War II, the nuclear family, as as you said. Yep. And this is, of course, why we see a bit of a reaction to that. I would argue, probably mid sixties. I would say oh, mid six. You think no. a little earlier than that? Oh,
0: much earlier.
1: Okay. When does the first reaction to that pop up then? In your
0: opinion. I'm going to say that what you start seeing Mm -hmm. because this is the, 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 uh, the, the 1950s, late forties going into the fifties, you're seeing this idea of like, like um, leisure time and individuality. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's also being sold with this strong package of conform. Mm -hmm. So there's weird little things like the, the first sitcom Basically, the first prototypical sitcom is 1951. You get I Love Lucy. Yes. And it's a family story. But the thing is, when it starts, they're an odd family. Oh, they're very an odd family. Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Very (laughs) odd.
1: And in fact, they're almost the original married with children in a weird way. They're almost more of that type of family because they're always bickering and they have all these problems, mostly because she's a complete dunderhead and he's a, you know, flandering. Well, anyway, which was kind of, well, okay, he was really a Flanderer, but she was actually a freaking genius. If you actually know anything about Lucille Ball, she was like one of the smartest women in Hollywood.
0: Yeah. And, and the original it's weird too, because when it starts, they don't have kids. That's true. The only reason they added kids is because Lucille Ball actually got pregnant. Right. Makes sense. And this, this is one of those weird things that if, when you look back, everybody always had kids, but there was never any talk of where they came from. Right. Yeah. Like I Love Lucy's the first time that pregnancy was acknowledged. They never called it that. Yes. Yep. Because again, true. it's that Victorian era, like, you know, we're we're just gonna pretend it doesn't happen thing. Mm-hmm. But it's not just that because you're starting to see there's this weird kind of like you said, there's a discord there.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um they're not a normal family because they're an entertainment family. That's true. That's true. And and I think this is going with this idea that you're seeing um with people of leisure time, entertainment takes more priority mm-hmm. yes and th- and this is why our parents the baby boomers are kind of the first media generation they are i agree because they have like a lot of choice and there's you're starting to see stuff again catered towards kids like we talked about way before this is where teenagers are invented mm-hmm. and it's 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 things like that and that's why you see like isle of Lucy, like say they're an entertainment family so they're part of this new burgeoning scene mm-hmm one of, one of the other things about, uh, I love Lucy that you don't see again for decades is that, that, that Lucy is a good all American woman, but Ricky's kind of ethnic. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. No, no. I mean, it's not like they're hiding Ricky Ricardo there. Oh, I wonder what background he's from. Oh no. They, they played it up that he was, yeah. a, uh, he was from Cuba in a Cuban band with a really bad Cuban accent. Yeah. Yeah. And And that was played up, and you didn't see that anywhere else. And I think it's because I Love Lucy was like the prototypical sitcom. Mm -hmm. They were going into unknown territory, and plus that idea of the new world, it's entertainment-based, it's cosmopolitan. They don't have the the obligatory kid to tie them down, because, again, it's not about pumping out a unit to keep the war effort going. It's about individual achievement. Even the idea Mm -hmm. that Lucy is obsessed with becoming a star herself, Oh, good point. Yep, which which is showing that this drive towards uh, towards independent achievement and personal glory kind of thing, mm-hmm. like they can do that because that's like the prototype. Mm-hmm. But then very quickly you get kind of your um, father's no- father knows best. Yeah, there's there's that you get um you get a weird kind of split mm-hmm. with how sitcoms portray family, and I think it's because. You get the two sides of Isle of Lucy, mm-hmm. and it's like we were saying before that you get the um, exoneration and the debasement of the concept. Okay, because what I would say is kind of a response to Isle of Lucy in a weird way would be at 1955 you get the Honeymooners. Oh, that's true. And the Honeymooners are kind of saying that you know this idea of the family is a lie. Like kind a of. Yeah, yeah. okay. Because okay. Oh, go ahead. Except my my comment is, okay,
1: should we differentiate between... For example, if I recall, right, the Honeymoors, they didn't have any kids.
0: Nope, they didn't. And, so they weren't supplying war effort, kind of like I Love Lucy in the beginning.
1: Yeah, that's true. But I guess my point is, should we differentiate between a show that's meant to be about adults, not the adults living together, and a show about a family? Like does a family show and this this is actually a good point to bring up does a show about a family require children for it to be about a
0: family i think this goes with what we started with that it depends how you define it Mm -hmm. because i think it can be both because i think at this time Mm -hmm. because i love lucy does both yes that it puts this idea in the head that a family can be a couple yes and and again, it, it goes back, like, say, the Blondie comic, when they get married, and it becomes about married life. Well, they have kids pretty damn quick because mm-hmm. that's still seen as the ideal of marriage at that time. You got to keep pumping out the units. Mm-hmm. But I think you're looking at that idea because I think, again, in society, that idea of family is starting to change. Mm-hmm. That it's always been different. There's always been different kinds of families. It's just you're seeing culture acknowledge that. Yes, that's true. So you're what what you're seeing that is that the honeymooners is a family comedy, but it's going down a slightly different path because again, they don't have kids. they're married. You're seeing some of the um the the debates that that come up in in other kind of of stories
3: mm-hmm.
0: in other kind of family stories. But that notion of the family also has kids because the idea of a nuclear family is still kind of new. It's not fully centered yet. mm mm-hmm. So The Honeymooners is, I would say, a family story, but it's where you're starting to see a different kind of story Mm. that you can you can say that it's not a family story. And I think that's just as valid. See, I would
1: be inclined to say it's not a family story because I would say that. Yes, I would say, because you could, uh, it's a couple story, which, again, couples are families. I mean, you know, I don't have any kids. I mean, my wife consider ourselves a family. I mean, we do. But at the same time, I would argue that stories like that, and Lucy, before they had kids, are really about the couple as, you know, wacky people or interesting people trying to live together. And usually they've got their friends who are part of the story too, Fred Nestle or whatever their names are. And so as an end result... I don't know, in my head, I just don't get think of that as a family story. Like, to me, a family story is one that's more centered around the the doings of the family as a larger unit beyond just two people together.
0: I think you're, I think, I'm going to say, I think you can be right. Okay, thank you. Well, well, I appreciate <laughs> What I would say, why I consider it a family story, it goes way back to what we were talking about historically. Mm -hmm. What family was, it was kind of an element of control. Okay. So you've got a married couple, Mm -hmm. and that makes them a family, but the catch is they haven't fulfilled their obligation of pumping out a unit yet. Yes, that's true. But this is the first stage of that as far as society, and and notably pop culture, is concerned. Well, that's true, although... Yes, sorry, go. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was going to say, and that's why I would say it's a family thing, and you see this in like the ones where they do have kids, you start seeing that there's a lot of similar things, but because when you look at any of those stories where it's the married couple, mm-hmm. they always do at least one episode. Although back in this day, it would be like a through line where mom wants kids. Dad kind of doesn't. Right. That's right. always a thing. And that's where I say, I think that kind of thing that that idea is there puts it in the family thing where, like I say, they're, not technically a family yet because they haven't taken that final step, but it's still in that ballpark because it's that path towards it. You're watching the origin story. It just happens to go on for eight years. Right. Well, uh, yes, and th- they'll
1: use the term, they won't use the term having kids, they'll say starting a family. That will be yeah. the very specific phrase that they'll use, which implies that they're not really a family yet until they
0: have kids. Mm. And, this, and this is where I say, I think, you could argue either way like i think either either way is correct it's just this is for for the 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 through line this is kind of why mm-hmm. i'm keeping this in the family category but on the periphery okay fair enough yeah. because you get the response to that in 1957 which is what a lot of people would consider the defining com- family comedy where i think the mm-hmm. idea of the nuclear family is completely like like solidified mm-hmm and that is the uh the terrifying look into the heart of lightness, leave it to beaver. Yes, it
1: is. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Very true. Very true. Um, see to me that of course, because the kids and everything, that that to me is the epitome of a family comedy or a family sitcom as the case may be. Yes. Yeah, Technically, not a sitcom, but it's a comedy. Yeah, anyway. Um oh, it's a so, sitcom. It's just they didn't call them that yet. (laughs) Yeah, they didn't call them yet, and it wasn't a single camera studio sitcom. It's actually a bit they were a different kind back then. But yes, Um, okay, valid point. Um, And the and that, as you said, is the epitome of the nuclear family, nineteen fifties. And I would argue, Father Knows Best as well. Father Knows Best is another variation of that. Um, Not much variation, but 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 it was part of that. Part of that good, wholesome family entertainment that they were... Mind you, they did have some variations. Um, For example, the Andy Griffith show. Mm -hmm. Where it's a
0: single dad raising his son. And this is where you get to the weird thing. Mm -hmm. Because one of the first derivations that you get Mm -hmm. in the family sitcom is mom's dead. (laughs) Like, like there's a lot of dead moms in these things. Well... Oh uh, wait, was Disney making them? <laughs> Maybe, but but that's a through line for a lot of them is that that there's a lot of dead moms in these things. Yes, yes there are. The first thing that the, the if if one parent is going to die, it's going to be the mom. Yeah, like, and I, not many I, dead dads, a lot of dead moms. Yeah, and I think again it's it's that idea that you're still you've got this idea that the perfect family mom stays at home in her pearls and gloves doing the vacuuming. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, to to have mom as the breadwinner would still kind of rankle people at this point. Yep, yep. And that's why, if you wanted to have, because what you're looking at with the Andy Griffith show is it's actually a family story, but another on the other periphery, mm. because it's also um, uh, it's I, I what you saw more of in like the 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 80s especially, but it's the uh, mm. the the working guy just starting out story. Kind of, yeah. Except Andy's already established, but that's why if mom is dead... Because now you can do all the dating gags and stuff. Yep, yep, exactly, yep. And and, and it's still technically... Because he's got Opie and he was married, it still fits that family thing, even yeah. though that's... Again, like I'd say it's it's on the periphery like The Honeymooners is, but it's the other side of the periphery. Yep. I would argue... Now, Kane, my knowledge of 60s and 70s
1: sitcoms is not perfect by any means. But I would argue that the we get the antithesis of that or the opposite of that won't come around until i think it's the early 80s maybe late 70s but i'm pretty sure early 80s with alice uh we actually yes. we get a couple we get a couple of them we get alice and oh no even earlier we get one day at a time Is one yeah uh,
2: it's one day at a time
1: that's the one with that Valerie bertinelli was in and Mackenzie phillips and i can't know oh, bonnie something was the mother i can't remember her name
2: yeah but actually, yeah, a, actually there's
1: there's one before that Oh, which one Partridge family oh yeah, yeah oh my god you're right you're right I forgot about the partridge family and that would be even earlier that would be mid to late mid to early 70s yeah
0: they' actually I think partridge family I think it's late 60s. they're all really close together like yes, I think okay good point yeah I think like uh, Alice I think I want to say 75 or 76 and I think one day at a time again is right around that time too yes they're definitely both parts of the 70s yeah because it because again it's it's that idea it's it's becoming acceptable to have a uh uh a lone female protagonist because this is also the era of the mary tyler moore show uh 76 for alice yeah 76 for alice and mary tyler moore would have been a bit earlier but yes yeah yeah and it and it's again it's that it becomes acceptable that Mm-hmm. we can now kill off dad and do that same kind of story. And yep, because yep. it it's considered timely, even if we're just running the exact same plots we were using 10 years prior. Oh yeah. Sitcom plots don't change a lot. Absolutely
1: true. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so, okay. So let's, let's zip back. I mean, we don't want to take too long to, we don't dwell on this too long, but okay. So we hit the sixties then, uh, and we get, um, well, Indie Griffith show. We've got um, what, so, 60s would you say is a pro-family era or is it a um, you know family is kind of is it a reaction to the family era or is it more would you say
0: a more conservative family era period in television i'm gonna say the 60s are remarkably Mm pro-family but you're starting to see the idea of what family is change okay fair enough that it's generally accepted that the nuclear family the bob dobbs kind of thing isn't necessarily the only way yes and there's basically four shows that i think epitomize this okay which are my mother the car was brilliant no actually and (laughs) mr ed of course yeah ironically three of them come out in 1964 okay and the one next comes out in 65 okay because what you get in 60 i think i know where this is going okay uh, let's hear it yeah what you get in 64 the ones that i think are where you see straight-up parodies. Mm-hmm. But by doing parody, it's that idea that you can question the family as you get, and we've mentioned before, the Adams Family and the yep. Monsters. Yep, I knew those were i 64 Adams Family and Monsters. Yep. And this is also prime era for like uh, what they call the Monster Kids, our parents. Yes, yep. And that's why it, it's, it's Monsters' family. Like we said, you get the Monsters, which is a parody because they're actual monsters they're vampires and werewolves and 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 a golem and a dragon but they're basically us other than that they're a straight-up sitcom family Mm -hmm. that just happens to be monsters yes and it's it's that was kind of the funny thing to to see and then the opposite of that was the adams family right where they're nominally humans but they act monstrously yes exactly and then that's the idea. You you start seeing this that they're mixing it with pop culture, and you're getting these variations. Mm-hmm. The other one that comes out that's kind of interesting, and we've talked about this before, is in '64. You also get Bewitched. Oh, interesting. Okay. And that's kind of a weird take on the family thing because again, you're seeing this idea. Mm-hmm. Um that that mom has actual powers right that dad won't let him use because he's really self-conscious and possibly has small genitalia um <laughs> but yeah. it's a it's a straight up family sitcom again um mm-hmm.
1: it, oh it is it, well again depending on your de- definitions yeah i would quibble and say that's a couple sitcom not a family sitcom but okay until they have tabitha and then it's a straight up family sitcom there's, yes yes once they have tabitha that changes but that takes like Two seasons or something like that.
0: Yeah. but eventually they get there. Yes, you're right. And it's this. It again, it's this weird thing because it's the classic sitcoms mm-hmm. where m- mom, because she has actual powers, has almost more autonomy than you would see like your your like like June Cleavers have. Mm-hmm. But dad still brings the hammer down, so she's not allowed to use her powers. So, but then you get the mother-in-law mm-hmm. who the, has been a popular character that. Harasses the husband when when the wife won't do it, right? And I think again, it's because in the sixties you're starting to see that dynamic—the idea that that mom can be a a breadwinner or forced to contend with happening. Yes, yes, definitely. And then in '65, you get the flip side of that, which again I think is a family show on the periphery, but it's got a weird thing that nobody thought of, and that would be "I Dream of Jeannie." Okay which is the anti bewitch because in that one the 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 she's not his wife she's kind of his girlfriend or tormentor depending on how you look at it right she has powers she has no problem using them and like i think we've mentioned before the two shows kind of start from the same premise but they're radically different because mm-hmm. in in bewitched sam never wins right and, and in genie genie always wins uh, and i think yeah. i i dream of genie puts this idea that you're starting to see the idea of family change in a more radical way Mm -hmm. because the one thing that nobody points out in i dream of genie is they're living in sin
1: yeah they are well they pretend to be a a married couple but you're right yeah
0: they basically are when it starts they don't pretend to be married like uh, tony's kind of ignoring her it's just that the neighbors and and his boss start noticing she's around so he's got to like well she's my girlfriend and then eventually they get married i think like in the 80s they they finally did like a the oh movie. Really?
1: really i thought, they didn't get
0: married until then wow i didn't know yeah. that and what ends up happening now to the characters it seems legit that they don't know where she lives or that but to the audience she lives with him yeah, yeah. He has a that's living true. girlfriend, which is be horrifying at the time, and I always think maybe they got to cut they 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 get, let it slip because she's a supernatural entity and not natural an yeah. human. Yeah. But it's that idea that this is where I think and it's it's weird that such a goofy show may may be such an important step, but that's where you're really kind of seeing this idea of what's acceptable as family Splitting up because in the 70s is when you really see the radical change from the nuclear family,
1: right? Yeah, that makes sense, yeah, which, which is really, really kind of weird, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, well, in the 70s, I mean, we've yes, we, we truly see the uh shift. I mean, if, I assume the radical change you're referring to is among other things. Well, there's a couple of them, of course. We mentioned one day at a time, we've mentioned Dallas. And of course, we should mention the dreaded, by the dreaded blended family that everyone knows, the Brady Bunch. Dun 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 dun. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, which again, for our genera for our generation, was played endlessly in reruns, so we know it all very well. Yeah. Um uh, I'm going to avoid singing the theme song. <laughs> all, it's all going in your heads anyway, right now. As soon as I said that. Um, so here's the story. I mean, um, it's a story of a. <laughs> Of a lovely uh, of lady. Of uh, a lovely <laughs> lady. There we go. Who is bringing up three very lovely girls. Um, <laughs> and, oh, can you remember how the next part goes.
0: All of them had hair of gold, just like their mother. Uh, the youngest one in curls. Yeah. <laughs> and there's
1: a story um, oh, of a man named Brady, who is mm-hmm. bringing up three very handsome boys or something like that. And anyway, so the key point is, again, the first, I that's one of, if not the, like, popular anyway first blended families where we got two divorcees with their kids creating a new kind of family a new a new family for
0: a new age yeah and and it's one of the first i believe references to divorce yeah yeah nobody had to die in that show (laughs) that's true that's true no it will because
1: we didn't have to make it clean anymore for the people were kind of okay well they you know got used to living in sin with genie i guess so you know from there we uh we managed to get to, uh, we managed to get to divorce. And of course, as we mentioned, single mothers one day at a time, Alice, and I'm sure there were a couple others as well. Um, and so, you know, society's view of what, it's interesting how we started from the fifties with, you know, the nuclear family, and then each generation deviates more and more from that. Well, for the next two
0: decades anyway. Yeah. Um, cause, go. cause it's, it's that idea that, um, Pop culture kind of reflects a society and idealizes it and sticks its finger in its eye at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So the 50s, the nuclear family is kind of a new invention. So that's why everybody did that. It was the new thing. Yes, that's true. And it wasn't that you didn't have like divorces and and widows and widowers and orphans that before. It's just, again, we didn't want to talk about that. We had this new shiny toy that we could play with. Yep, Yep, very true, very true. Cause the seventies, I think where you really first see the family sitcom change of, of course, 71, it would be all in the family. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Because it was something, it was again, a more, not the, quite the right term, but it was a more realistic take because basically everybody in that family hated everybody else in that family. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And they were all assholes and idiots. Like that was kind of the theme of the show in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but it kind of reflected what people knew what a real family looked like. And because they did that kind of like grittier quote unquote realistic thing mm-hmm. and the million spin spin-offs that took kind of that grittier idea in different directions, you really had kind of a, a change in what family was because this is also the era where you start seeing, um, um, oh, I can't think of the, there's a term for it. Mm-hmm Where you start seeing families that aren't families of blood. Oh, uh, not blended families. What's what's the what's the term for them? Yeah, you're right. There's another term. Yeah, that. And it's where you start seeing like say, adopted families, and you start seeing kind of like that would be like say different strokes. Yes, yes. Yep. Yep. We get. Yep. Exactly. They're they're adopted. There's a but Webster was like that. Um, you get shows like say Chico and the Man where they were essentially a family even though they the like like the two main characters were like a father and son even though they weren't a father and son in any capacity yes yeah but it's that idea that this idea of what a family proper is is expanding because again you're also seeing divorce became okay back in the 60s so more people are getting divorced and it's mm-hmm. rather than just toughing it out hating on each other like they had been for the previous forever Yep, yep. So this idea of family is that you're seeing more autonomy from people like mom and dad are both working if you've got mom and dad. Yes. yes so yep. For the kids of the time, their friends are more their family. You're seeing um this is again where you're starting to see in, in sitcoms that one of the kids' friends mm-hmm. becomes a de facto extra kid. Yeah, yeah they don't just hang out all the time that kid is just always at their house and hanging out for dinner and having sleepovers because this is what people know like their their family is more like their friends and associates than maybe their actual biological family and as you said the parents are so busy working that it's
1: perfectly normal to have for your you know son or daughter's best friend to practically be living at your house because their parents are gone all the time yeah so you've got this extended family that's that's by that are non-kin relations like living with you to one degree or another. Yeah. Um, yep. So you're right. That's that because and that becomes much more of a normal
0: thing, especially in the 70s. And another thing that you start seeing in the 70s that that kind of becomes a, a more of a through line in the 80s is that mm-hmm. you, you start seeing portrayals of families that may be more ethnic than you, you, you saw before. Well, again, society's changing, so
2: it oh, is. The
1: demographics are changing as well. Yeah, yeah,
0: and a lot of times there's still like raging stereotypes, but it's this mm-hmm. idea that a family, that dad doesn't have to be Bob Dobbs anymore. Very true. That Bob, you can dad can take many forms. Yep, that's true. Yeah, and that's and that's an important thing that that the actual components of that family mm-hmm. can be different and can do different things.
1: Right. Yeah. No, no, that made that absolutely true. And when people saw that, they laughed and they loved it. And then they promptly freaked the hell out and said, Oh my God, we want our leave it to beaver back. What's going on with society? This is also very wrong. And we got the 1980s. <laughs> oh my God, did we ever? Um, I guess, which going on the cycle, right? Remember, the 80s is basically just the 50s again, it's an echo of the 50s. Yeah, and so 50s and kind of late, you know, early 60s, and so yeah, we're back to that again. And so suddenly, at least suddenly the Cosby Show, um, which is very family oriented, as long as you don't touch the Jello. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, as I recall, it's the chili. Oh, it's the oh, okay, yeah, that's true.
0: There, there there's an episode where, uh, where, are uh Dad, what is it? Huxtables or what was this? The Huxtables. Heathcliff Huxtable, Bill Cosby. H- yeah, where Cliff is like makes his uh, there. There's a joke about his magic chili that you know makes everybody feel like all warm and happy after they have it. It's like wow, that's <laughs> just creepy in retrospect. There, there's something that happens. You mentioned the Cosby Show. There's something that happens just before it. Uh huh. That I didn't realize. Okay, sure. The first of these kind of um, new cleavers that happens is actually Family Ties. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, it like, would be. Like, yeah. 1982, and Family Ties, it's kind of the watered-down version of a 70s family sitcom, right? Right. Like, Mom and Dad are hippies, Alex is a young Republican, and oh, sparks fly, but they're not really sparks, it's not like the, the, uh, it's for people who thought that, you know, All in the Family is way too edgy, it's basically that story, but toned down. Mm Mm-hmm. And then for people who thought that Family Ties was too edgy, that's where you get the Cosby Show in '84, right? The original show about nothing, and kind of, yeah,
1: yeah, that, that's true. What was the show that? Oh my God, no, there was actually another one.
0: Ah, oh, yes, there were actually uh, Growing Pains with Robin yeah. Thicke. Yeah, God, there was a there was like a ton of these things. There's, I was looking at the list, and there's like a million. I kind of vaguely remember because I hated all of them yes
1: yes oh my I, god I, I believe you do yeah I, I, I believe you oh yeah that's right because uh i'm oh, sorry alan thick is yeah i keep thinking with not Thick. it's alan thick that's the father yeah. and alan thick was growing pains was what year it was 85 yeah so that so okay uh family ties would have come first and then growing Pains would have been one of the reactions to it like in the 80s it was the it was the family era right yeah
0: yeah yeah they, Oh no there was like tons there were also if 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 we're going to look at the periphery ones right mm-hmm. like if you want to talk about one of the parents is dead and you want to talk about there are a couple that don't have kids yet there were so many other white bread bland ass versions of those going on as well right so like i say i think 80s is when you get like your webster i think webster's like 79 or 80 i want to say right oh my god is that just make it stop well, that's remember, there,
1: we've got two lines basically going in the 80s. We've mm. got the true, you know, uh, we will call it revenge of the cleavers, uh, we'll yeah. call them. And then we've got the different strokes, rip offs, whatever you want, or whatever you want to call them, yeah, where everyone is basically doing their verse. So we got Webster, we got Punky Brewster, we got um, there's a couple others. Oh, my God, I can remember what you could probably name a couple more too. Oh, Small Wonder.
2: Uh, yeah, there, the other was, ones. There, there was, was t-
0: I, I can see them, but like I said, I hated them, because you also got shit. you also got the other side where you got all these like bland, stupid like couples shows, mm-hmm. where again I'm I they're on the periphery, but the idea of like when are we going to have kids was like often the only running thing on these stupid things because because again like like you say it was people were like oh man the fifties were so awesome. And yeah, everything got really boring and stupid. So, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, the early 80s were horrible for sitcoms. Uh, well, it depends. Some people consider them one of the great ages
1: of sitcoms. It all, it all depends on your perspective. Yeah. I mean, because we did have uh, Cheers popped up in the 80s as well, and that it, was considered pretty I awesome. That. I know you hated it. So <laughs> there we go. Um, Actually, I was not a great fan, but it was okay. I mean, eventually and eventually as we worked our way through, we'd even get things like, you know, the we'd even eventually get uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and uh, Golden Girls. We get Alf. Yeah, there's another one,
0: Uh, another (laughs) blended family. When we're going to adopt an alien this week. Okay, sure. Alien. Well, because that was that was another one. Like the elf thing is kind of um, Mm because you mentioned Punky Brewster. Yep. And Punky Brewster and Alf are pretty much the same show because it's yeah. it's that it's that um, a, a weird orphan just kind of shows up. And for some reason, yep. I'm allowed to keep them that there was a bunch of. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there was. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a good age for wards, basically, or or whatever. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, because it, it's like you said, it was different strokes because, you know, Mr. Drummond different yeah, strokes. Yeah. Mr. Drummond adopts these two kids and it's because like their parents worked for him yeah so like when they died he got them by default like what the hell is that that makes no sense no if i remember right i thought that the
1: mother because the father was already dead i thought that the mother worked for him as his maid and when she died he basically said i promise to take care of your kids yeah and so he went through the paperwork
0: and adopted them because she they had didn't they were orphans but that was the whole deal but that's still weird. He just gets to keep it. Say they like Punky Brewster. Okay, so this preteen girl is living with this weird old man. No, that's fine. Looks legit to me. I'll sign the papers. Like what the hell? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, well, I with Mr. Drummond, he's rich, so you could see the whole you know, you see adoption happening. With Punky Brewster, it was kind of like, I don't know about Henry, this, but Henry, okay.
0: Henry is a broke ass angry old man. Like what the hell? Get yeah, this, this, like an this with this out. guy. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And there were so many of because that's again Elf falls into that small wonder was that as well, huh? nobody nobody wonders why they suddenly have another twelve-year-old kid. Exactly. Really, what the hell? Nobody. nobody and there were, again, there were so many of those.
2: Jeez, yeah, yeah they're worse. And even but, some,
0: even some of the other ones became that because as they were called growing pains, they um. Yep. Ends up picking up another kid because that oh, they all did. Yeah, they all yeah, did that. Yeah, because that that that's the the cousin Oliver effect, right? Was that from Growing Pains, was Cousin Oliver? No, Cousin Oliver is the Brady
1: Bunch. Yeah, he was the Brady Bunch, right. Yes, right, 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 yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, it's a, that whatever, you can always tell a show is in its last season because they pick up an extra kid. Yeah. Because okay, it's an attempt I... to revive the show at that point. <laughs> oh, the other kids are too old now. Bring in a cute, new, cute kid. And so that, yeah. yeah. And they all did it. Yep. But by the end of the 80s, we're already seeing a reaction to that because you're not the only one that, like, was kind of getting overwhelmed by that thing because... God help us. Uh, in 88, we did get Roseanne. Well, we got in 87. We got one before that. Oh, what, what did we get before that? Married with Children. Oh, it was 87. Okay. I thought I always think of the Married with Children as, an, as a 90s show, but I guess because it mostly was. Same with uh, Rose Roseanne actually was also mostly
0: mostly in the 90s, but started in the 80s. Yep, yeah. True. Yeah, because Married with Children was the first of the, no, family suck shows yeah that's true and again it was like millions of those for
1: a while oh yeah they became super popular as well well again the 80 the 90s technically starts in the late 80s if you want to be technical about it because we culture wise anyway about 88 if i remember right, we worked out basically 88 is pretty much when uh, the 80s actually stop yeah 90s uh, 90s begin so to speak culturally anyway so yes, we've got that. And of course we got Fox pops up, but Roseanne was actually running on uh, I think it was ABC, which was the super yeah. family network. Awesome yep. family network was running Roseanne, which is mind you, they were ultimately a bickering family that still loved each other though. Unlike Married with Children, where they would they would team <laughs> together against an enemy, but otherwise they were definitely did not like each other.
0: Yeah, they made that clear. And then and then the, the funny part when you mentioned Roseanne mm-hmm. is that um abc on saturday morning had like the 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 little roseanne yep little Rosie. yep and i'm like good lord who thought that was a good idea
1: <laughs> like well that's the result of a whole lot of alcohol and cocaine and desperation yeah that too well we need to fill up our saturday morning with something a uh, little Rosie, okay yeah that's yeah whatever that's the that's the way it goes <laughs> But again, as we've said, you know, things things are shifting. You know, there was an there was a, a retreat towards you know good old fashioned American values during the early and mid eighties. And yeah. then now, you know, now we're suddenly dealing with uh, a little just a little bit of um economic issues in the United States at this point, among other things. And people are starting to think, wow, this American dream is a crack of shit. Right. And and so as as an end result, we get married with children, we get Roseanne, we get a lot of the stuff that comes out of the early and mid 90s
0: yeah i think that too that people were just sick of the cosby show nothing ever happens thing
1: no i mean the greatest zero you could argue that the view of the 90s has the two what are considered that or at least the two greatest 90s sitcoms are are seinfeld which is a show about nothing and mm. Friends, which is also technically a show about nothing. So, <laughs> so, so it's just they didn't just want families doing nothing. They wanted um, uh, snarky uh, people living in New York doing nothing. That's what they wanted instead, apparently. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, <laughs> that's that's kind of where it went in the 90s. Um, I mean, we had other things. But, well, again, going back to the whole idea – Friends, what are friends in seinfeld about their friend the your friends are the family you choose yeah that's really ultimately what they are they're about people living with their family but not blood family the friend the your ideal friend family instead yeah that's all and even seinfeld is right they're not great people but ultimately <laughs> they're a weird kind of family
0: <laughs> yeah because nobody else wants anything to do with them <laughs> exactly same with uh frasier's like that um well, fraser literally is family well that's
1: true most of it anyway yeah. um i mean uh roz and was it flo i'm trying to remember the housekeeper uh, Oh, uh, the, Brit- the the house,
0: scottish housekeeper
1: whatever whatever her was name was name. what well, Mer-
0: meredith was was uh niles's wife well, i can't remember her name no maris was my Ma- yeah maris is
1: the one who you never see yeah, that was Miles' yeah. wife, who you never see. Um, there was Daphne. Daphne, Daphne was yeah. the one who was living with them. And then uh, Fraser's manager was Roz. Yeah. But, so it. So, so the three men, uh, Fraser's brother and his father, were family. But then they had these two women that were basically kind of like their sisters, kind of, but weren't actually their family. They were just part of their life. Yeah. Um, but but you're right. They, they were a
0: family. Yeah. And, and and what you also had in the 90s. Mm-hmm was kind of the, um, the, an upswing in, for lack of a better word, family dramas. That's true. And because this is, this is where you got like a lot of those like weird teeny bopper soap operas that were basically family dramas. Yes. Yes.
1: Well, I mean, family dramas has happened before. We can go back to the seventies with, uh, Dallas.
0: Yeah, they did. But again, they, they were usually kind of more out of the soap opera mold. Right. Like they weren't specifically about family issues. Like the oh, Ewings, that's... Ewings could have just been strangers, and it wouldn't really change the stories all that much. Right. What was that super big one that was on in the eighties? Well,
1: okay, there was the Wonder Years.
0: Well, yeah, that one. That, that was a and comedy th- drama.
1: That was a comedy drama. There was also one about a, uh, a kid with Down syndrome. Oh, and- uh, Life Goes On life goes on yes there was that life, life goes on there was yeah. the one with that and about how the family kind of rallied around this kid with down syndrome and kind of dealt with that there was also there were also if i remember in the 90s there were a number of shows that were kind of about again about kind of quasi-blended families as well Um uh, we got dawson's creek we got and there was another one party of five party yeah. of five and we also get at this point 90210
0: yeah, there was there was a ton. There was like yeah. there was like a new one every every like few months. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah, because they because they were super popular.
1: People yeah, loved and, them. and cheap to make. <laughs> there we go. Well, you know, nine two one zero was not that cheap. Same with uh, well, Dawson's Creek was only cheap because they were making it up in Canada. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that was that was the cheap Canadian one. But uh, I think the others were more a little more expensive. But you're right that uh, we got a ton of those in the nineties. Because again, yeah, are the nineties. We start the 90s with a kind of reaction, you know, the 90s become, well, families a crock. So what are we going to, what are we going to talk about? As I said, friends, we got our, yeah. you know, so you're, you, you got the family you make and the family you choose. And I would argue that kind of continues on into the 2000s. I mean, sort of, um, cause everything, cause this is one of the interesting things I find is that the 2000s. Basically, you know, you would think, okay, this is my take, you would think that in the 2000s, especially after 9-11, that everyone would rally together and it would become the era of, you know, love and harmony and everything like that, in the the United States anyway, that they'd all be but instead it was the exact opposite.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Like, if anything, to the 2000s is kind of the era of the anti-family sitcom. i do not sure, correct. In the sense that they basically decided, okay, we're not really going to do family sitcoms anymore we're just going we're, to we're gonna do work sitcoms mostly. Because I would argue that's what most of the ones from the 2000s are. There's some, like Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is a family sitcom, technically. <laughs> um, they're a very, very dysfunctional one. Um, but there's a lot, because the 90s is, or sorry, it's the 2000s, we're looking at uh, Dirty Rock, we're looking at The Office, we're looking at It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, How I Met Your Mother, Big Bang Theory. Um, we're looking at a whole bunch of sitcoms at that, that point, Again, using them as a reflection of the family. Your work is basically your family in the 2000s.
0: In the
2: office, yeah.
1: I
0: guess what you call them. Well, because the 2000s are the 80s again. Yeah, pretty and much. Yeah. Remember, the 80s was the era of the overachieving yuppie asshole. So true. So the 80s had tons of workplace shows as, like as well. Mm-hmm. Like comedies and dramas. Because again, that's what everybody is focused on. Because I had to get ahead and get the... And I think the 2000s were part of that. Mm-hmm. yeah and i I think in the 2000s, this is also kind of the the post internet era mm-hmm. so you really don't have a mass audience anymore yeah so well, the like, ratings are dropping that's definitely true yeah yeah because it's it's at at this point like YouTube is a thing um you're starting to see like podcasts and bloggers and that so mm-hmm. people aren't all gravitating towards one thing and you're starting to see more cocooning. Yes. So the idea of like it's harder to do a typical family show because everybody's personal experience is a little different, and everybody's wrapped up in their own personal experience. Yep. Yep. That's true. Very true.
1: So huh. I I think that I think, that's I, part I think of you're I think you're onto something there. I think you really are. Yeah. 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 That that would make sense, actually, that they just they were I mean, there were some family shows again in the 2000s. But you're right. People were so busy, focused on their careers and their personal lives and everything like that. that That's where they put the focus
0: instead. Yeah. Yeah. Because the Big Bang Theory split the difference because it's a workplace story about an extended family of friends who have all kinds of drama with their real families while trying to start families of their own.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, in some ways, it's the
0: ultimate family sitcom. Which is why it was one of the highest rated sitcoms of the last
1: 20 years. Yeah. You know, people absolutely adored it, loved it, couldn't get enough of it. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, and we go from there. And I would argue that trend kind of continues into the 2010s. Um, In the 2010s, we get things like Community, we get Parks and Recreation, we get Hot in Cleveland, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I mean, there's, okay, there's Modern Family, which was, uh, you know, again, there's your family sitcom, basically. But except for that, the majority of sitcoms that we get out of the 90s are, or sorry, 2010, sorry, not 90s, 2010, sorry, a little bit of a ton, um, are basically just kind of the same as the 2000s. It's mostly still workplace, because, again, as you said, people's only exposure to each other these days seems to be at work or, or social groups or something like that. It doesn't seem to be the focus doesn't the internet has kind of split us all into little groups. So it became harder and harder
0: for us to connect and relate to that. Yeah. And, and it's the idea that um, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of cross-pollination anymore. Yeah. True. So I, th- I think from like the 2010s, at least for the – up to the near future, you're going to see that because, again, it's hard to get a mass mark – like a mass audience. Yeah. You you can do it with like a 25-second video because it mm-hmm. takes – because everybody will see it because it takes no effort. But it's hard to build something off of that. Yep, very
1: true. And, and that's why they're bring back old sitcoms right now, whether it's Netflix or even the network, um, or bring back the old stuff and attempt to kind of recapture some of that, but it doesn't really work because again, it's a different time and different place.
0: Yeah, and 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 it's 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 people consume entertainment differently. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like this is why, like I've I've always said that the Pop culture ends in the 90s because that's kind of the last era where you could have a big audience. And they Uh, perfect they perfected the formula in the 90s. So that everything now is and it's marketing by machine now. The computers are all like getting our numbers and recommending that we just keep watching the same shit over and over. So we're getting is is that
1: the dead pop culture theory is that what you're is that what you're saying that the pop culture ended in the 90s and everything else since then is just a machine pumping out stuff to keep us pacified is that it yeah but
0: i wouldn't say that it's to keep us pacified it's just pumping stuff out because that's what it does like to say to keep us pacified is to put some kind of like moral imperative and no it's not even that it's just uh you like that here's more and it once you have like ai actually writing passable stuff it'll just get worse because it won't be that the the algorithms on the internet are going to recommend things. They'll make things on the spot. Yeah, yeah, they will. That you'll have, like, oh, if you like this, here's 50 other things that we just wrote over the last 28 seconds that you'll probably enjoy because they're almost exactly the same. Yep. And then the problem with constantly being logged into everything all the time, always, now, and forever, amen, mm-hmm. is that we'll just keep getting more and more suggestions. Like I say now, I it's like the 90s again on the internet with like all the ads and pop-ups and recommendations and highlights and would you like to sign into that no i don't want to sign into this i'm just trying to look something up you know
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: and like i said it'll make it worse because the cocooning will get more and more severe just again it's an environment it'll be an environmental thing
1: right right right. okay well enough tuberism for a moment there um (laughs) i would say uh going back though to something actually. Again, we. Um, we hit briefly on, is that though that there is still a yearning for the family. Like the family is still to some degree the central unit of society. And I would argue that whether it's the family we make or the family we're born into or the family of geography, that Plato, sorry, Aristotle, not Plato, that Aristotle was right. Um, That the family really is in some ways still the central unit of drama because it's something we can all relate to because it's one of those things we all have. And even in the internet era, family will perhaps become even more important. Uh, Maybe as time goes on, we're going to become more, uh, because again, we're more fragmented. We have less in common with each other. And because of that, we'll be reaching more and more for those things where we do connect with other people. And family is going to be one of those few things that we do all connect on. I
0: think this ties in with the AI episode. Okay, how so? Oh, because well, I think you're right. And I think what we're looking at is, is essentially booster gangs out of cyberpunk. Oh, great. The The idea that, like we said, in, in the world of, of, of uh, the AI, mm-hmm. we're already kind of at that point where people are desperate for identity. Yes, that's true. And I think we're already at that point where, getting at what you're saying, people mm-hmm. are desperate for some kind of family, for some kind of connection. Yep. And that's why everybody's slowly splitting up into little separate wackadoo groups because you're defining what you are for yourself Mm -hmm. usually subconsciously based on a whole pile of internet suggestions and then you're seeking out like-minded individuals to group together with Mm -hmm. uh, because it satisfies that need to belong because humans are gregarious and yep it helps reinforce that personal identity thing that you're trying desperately to forge for yourself based on internet suggestions.
1: Yes. Yes. I
0: would agree completely. I would agree completely. And, and 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 continue, sorry. Oh, I was gonna say, and that's why like any kind of political discourse you see anywhere is just stupid now because it's not people actually trying to express their idea. It's just people desperately shouting to the wind, This is who I am! Like it or go to hell! OK, well, that's that's uh,
1: that's a thought. And so what what's the reaction to that going to be? Well, there's a theory um, that uh, we started out in clans and groups from the beginning and we've slowly earned our freedom and we've slowly become separate from them and become on individuals and such. But now we've discovered that individuality kind of sucks. <laughs> so we're now heading. Now we're on a crash course headed back towards the collective instead. And the internet is entwining us all back together again into groups and collectives of like-minded people and such. And this is where our society is headed. So eventually, we're going back to the collective once more. Um, and you will be assimilated. It's just. It's just what group you're assimilated to.
0: See, I, I, I think I think you're right. I don't think it's a collective. It's many collectives. Yes. yes and. I agree. The problem is tribalism was fine like 2000 years ago because we had distance, mm-hmm. but we don't anymore. And that, again, is why, like, say, especially political discourse is rampantly stupid,
2: because yes, when yeah. we
0: find somebody who thinks something that we don't, it's it's like a, an imme- our brain thinks it's an immediate threat and we have yep. to, like, shout it down or do it. And that's why you're seeing so many uh, instances of of what basically amounts to low impulse control. Pretty much. Yeah. Yep. If, of people just going off because, you know, that guy's wearing a Trump hat. He's evil. I have to do something. First, I'll scream Then I'll tweet, you know, and, and, and it's, it's yep. ev- everything there happens constantly. And it's all dumb because, yep. it, again, it's it's like you say, we're being broken into little groups and we're desperately trying to form that little group. So we're somebody. So we're not just nothing. Yep. Yep.
1: Exactly. And that's why, yo know, Isekai stories, going back to previous episodes, are still selling like crazy because they're all <laughs> basically about a character who, whisk, who gets whisked off to a fantasy world where they meet a new group of people who become a family that love and endure them for who they are.
0: While completely like stomping on that society.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Where the people who represent the evil society that they fled from all get the crap kicked out of them by the hero and their new friends. Which is basically Victorian era science fiction. Pretty much, yes, yes. We're we're (laughs) we've kind of gone
0: back to portal fiction, the original Victorian portal fiction again. That's we talked about that before. It's John Carter of Mars. Oh, not. But not even portal fiction. I mean, that's that's like the uh, the the whole Victorian era hero is the person that just comes into whatever the setting is and totally rules because they're just awesome.
1: British dude of course
0: <laughs> of course
1: they rule they're they're dominant they're superior they're they're better able to think and view the world Not unlike those savages from other <laughs> from other backgrounds like the French for example <laughs> um, they, you know they they have they have emotional control um yep. so therefore they're able to dominate with the true with the true British spirit and so, yeah. anyway, um, so we should probably bring it up. I think we're getting a little punchy. So any, any other thoughts about the family?
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I think we kind of covered it. It's like I say, in pop culture and in society in general, it's that weird back and forth. Mm, yep, it is. Yep, it is. Um, I'm actually going to finish with a weird one,
1: um, mm. which is that if anyone decides to up and start watching uh, Korean dramas now this is not korean family dramas this is korean uh romances and period dramas or whatever but korean dramas of course have become super popular the last couple years and if you look at them very carefully one of the things you'll realize is is that i i my wife watches a fair number of them uh is that they're all based around the family unit like Mm. they're all very very family focused ultimately um they're all basically they and they all present this Uh, these are all the archetypes that are part of the story are family members. Like they're all family, whether blood related or not, everyone basically has a role, you know, mother, father, uncle, grandfather, whatever. They're all there. Mm. And this is something I noticed watching them. It's one of those things when, you know, I'm watching something in language I don't understand. So therefore I I, I have to keep myself occupied one way or the other. Um, (laughs) and I would argue that's one of the reasons why Korean dramas have literally become universally popular across the world. Is because they are tapping, still tapping into that family impulse, that family desire that many people still have. And so that's why people from all over the world are able to relate to Korean dramas. Now, there are exceptions like Squid Game, for example, and things, and ones like that, which are not, not family dramas. And a lot of their crime, crime ones, sometimes it depends. But the, 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 the romance and the family dramas that they do, and the palace dramas, and peer- they're all family, is what they are. And they're and they're using that family to tap in, and it's one of the reasons why they've been more successful internationally than the Chinese dramas, which are more based around the rugged individual carving their you know their life out, or the Japanese uh, dramas, which are more about navigating your place in society. Mm-hmm. But, but the Korean dramas are ultimately about family, and in a weird way, that's one of the reasons why I think the Korean dramas win. Huh. Makes sense. Um, the only Japanese stuff that actually comes even close is, of course, the Isekai stories, as I mentioned, where everyone goes off to another world and finds their perfect family. Right. The real family doesn't care to give a crap about them. <laughs> um, so family, I would argue, is still a powerful force in people's lives. And it's still something that we crave, but it's something that can take, I guess we've learned in this episode, many forms. And maybe it's good that we started out at the beginning of this episode with a definition of family because... In a weird way, this whole episode has been about us defining what family is in popular culture. Yeah. And on that note, if you got your own ideas of family, or if you think things are one way or the other or disagree with us, drop by obeythedna.com and leave a rant, a comment, whatever you feel like leaving, we'd be happy to hear from you. Until next time, have a great t- have a great month, and we'll we'll be back next month with something almost as cool as this, or maybe more. We'll see what happens. Good night, folks. Ah, uh, quiet, Ben. <laughs> I'm sorry we didn't get to you this time. We just didn't have time. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at obeythedna.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough coca-cola to drop a rhino, see ya.